0: This is Inglorious Trexpert, Darren Doctorman. And from me and everybody at the Trexperts, we wish you a lovely holiday season and hope that you have time to spend it with your friends and family and with our wonderful swag from our various websites and our sister podcasts, Inglorious Trexperts and 430 Movie. At the Inglorious Trexperts site, that's com, you can find a whole bunch of swag with our Trexpert's logos and famous uh, quotes from the show and T-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and spatulas. No, there's no spatulas, but uh, you can get tote bags and uh, coffee mugs, all that sort of swag that uh, you've come to uh, expect from a high-quality podcast. So take a look on com, and also look at 430movie.com. That's 430movie.com.
3: Best movies never made as featured in entertainment weekly is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed gross and me, Mark A. Altman have a new oral history from St. Martin's press. It's secrets of the force, the complete uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today and you can learn the secrets of the force and don't miss our oral history of star trek in stores now and of course nobody does it better the complete oral history of james bond in digital hardcover paperback and audio that is all Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And this is the annual Inglorious Trexperts holiday special. Ta-da! Top Movies 101. And you could say we're top men. And uh, <laughs> top men. And, and joining us on this expedition is none other than the man, the myth, the legend himself, the, the man behind the Burnett work. He's the Charles Foster Kane of, of, of Geek Media. It's Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett.
1: Welcome back, Rob. Well, you know, it's a great honor to be with uh, you three men. And I look forward to the well to boldly going. And, and here, this holidays never gone before. <laughs> and I would be remiss if
3: I didn't welcome to the show once again, the big show. Our, uh, yeah. our newly minted Trexpert, uh, he was knighted back at the uh, Vegas convention, Vegas Star Trek convention, none other than the writer of Thor and X-Men First Class, Mr. Ashley
2: Edward Miller. I am, uh, I'm so thrilled to be here once again uh, for our, our glorious and uh, glorious Trexpert's holiday special. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just thinking, Mark, about what you said about being knighted um, at, uh, at Las Vegas. And my only regret, my friend was that, uh, I could not share wounds in battle, uh,
3: with you as, <laughs> as you did.
2: I like to think that you threw yourself in front of that cart, to save a friend, showing well, great honor and valor. It's a good story.
3: Day. The old wound. Selfless. The old wound. Um, <laughs> yes. so the on wound, I don't know. So, so I have to, I have to ask you guys, you know, Hallmark over the last decade and a half or so, maybe more, has been doing these great Star Trek ornaments. So uh, for your tree or your Hanukkah bush, um, what would be the ultimate holiday ornament you would want to hang in your house? And I'll start with uh,
1: Rob Burnett. A giant doomsday machine to suck everyone into its maw and end the holiday right quick. (laughs) The doomsday
3: machine. Yeah, and, and a little Matt Decker with the with in the in uh, in in the, the, the shuttlecraft in the
1: no, game. but in all seriousness, I mean, I believe it's this year that they actually have Spock's death scene from Wrath of Khan as an ornament. Oh my God! And I looked at that and I thought to myself, "Well, there's some holiday cheer for you." <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it, it'd be better for Easter, wouldn't it? Exactly. Exactly, <laughs> exactly what I was about. to That's say. what I was thinking. You know, I I don't know, but. Look, I've been a fan, we obviously, Mark, you and I've been a fan of Star Trek Christmas ornaments for a very long time. My favorite, my favorite Christmas ornament that does go up on the tree every year is the Galileo shuttlecraft which has Leonard Nimoy's voice. I I make sure that to
0: Enterprise, shuttlecraft to Enterprise. Yes. Happy holidays.
1: It's, <laughs> it's just it's fantastic and there's just something about it. You know, I also put up the motion picture enterprise as well, but it doesn't have as many lights on it as I would like. But that shuttlecraft is a a mainstay of our Jewish household.
3: Well, you know, Rob, you have sort of a checkered
1: past with uh, Christmas ornaments, if I recall. Yes, I do. Uh, I had the very first one taken away from me by the girl that gave it to me.
0: By a woman.
1: A Uh, woman! Trisha Lynn Bowman, Miss New Jersey. (laughs) A, a, A moment that was immortalized in cinematic history. (laughs) <laughs> how it's insane true.
3: is that it's, so
1: it's insane. pretty insane and you know what that's not even a canonically accurate enterprise either i remember though wasn't the prop
3: master's job to get that to get the enterprise and they were they were most vexed about
1: uh, and our executive producer you you we, we are you and stan bates thought wouldn't it be a nice gesture to give our executive producer that ornament at the end of filming free enterprise i was like no <laughs> No, we I want it. And 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 we gave it to him anyway. I'll bet he doesn't even know where it is. <laughs> I, I bet you're right. Uh so
3: Ashley, what about you? What's the ultimate uh Christmas ornament for your
2: tree? Uh, if we're talking about Star Trek, then I can think of only one. Uh I think um the perfect Star Trek ornament uh would be the giant jellyfish creature from Encounter at Farpoint, mm. um, because in the spirit of the season, it would be offered with great joy and gratitude. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Captain, I'm sensing tidings of comfort and joy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> and gratitude, don't forget the gratitude. Engage season's greetings. Wait,
2: no, I'm wrong. It's self-gratification. This is This episode has become <laughs> quite unsettling captain i believe we made a terrible mistake <laughs>
3: Just- so the, the solar starfish would be gracing your tree if oh, it was sorry. up to you okay yeah, and- solar
2: starfish sounds like <laughs> it
4: sounds like
0: uh, a uh, an instruction manual for something yes it does
3: <laughs> i didn't talk about <laughs> under the tree i talked about on the tree
1: oh, uh, <laughs> or well, the hanukkah days, bush you never know
3: uh, 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 uh. okay darren doctorman what about you I would like a uh,
0: to put on the top of the tree the Viserys.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Because it, can dub-
0: it can double as a disco ball. Nice. <laughs> While
1: you're if drinking- you made it now, it would have LEDs in it, so you could just change the color based yeah. on your mood.
0: Yeah, and right. it, it could play the little song.
2: <laughs> and
3: instead you of a disco demo.
2: cover of it. Yeah, In,
3: instead of eggnog, you uh, Tranya, yeah,
1: Trania. wow, the Giorgio Moroder version of that theme.
2: Wouldn't
0: it be interesting if there actually was one of those crazy? You know, it's funny, re-
3: remember how um, uh, David Arnold did that great shake and not stirred album, with reinterpretations of uh, of Bond themes and Bond songs. Be great to do that with Star Trek, but you know, it's like too hip for Star Trek. You know, to do like, uh, you know, sort of great artists reinterpreting um, uh, Star Trek music. Instead, we get that Sean Cassidy. Be,
0: <laughs> well, you know, there's there's room in this big galaxy for Sean Cassidy.
1: Well, Daft Punk could redo that Sean Cassidy song. I think it'd be Daft pretty Punk cool. Is,
2: Daft Punk is retired, Ron.
1: That's right. They, they, are. Come they would retirement. come out of retirement for this. Like <laughs> <Yes, laughs> the
2: let crew of the Enterprise.
3: Let it go. Let it go. That's, like, a that's whole another different song. podcast.
2: Let it go.
1: Yeah, no. it's a whole different one for the kids. For the okay. kids. Oh, for okay.
3: Kids. Well, this is a very exciting. Uh, you uh, haven't said how do you vote? Well, I don't know. I, 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 I can't. I'm sort of torn between either having. Um, um, wow, I, I, I kind of feel like. You know, uh, it's very important to honor the disabled and <laughs> to have a Christopher Pike uh, ornament. Uh, and uh, you know, will it be a Merry Christmas? Beep, beep. <laughs> no, no. Will it be a Happy Hanukkah? No.
0: Saying yes twice.
3: <laughs> you know, <laughs> <A> voice <laughs> activated Christopher Pike. I I think that would be uh, that would be terrific because you know the disabled are very much on my mind these days.
0: Yes, especially um, when they fling themselves at you and. Yeah. Uh, that horrible
3: ball. accident Especially. i had as a child
2: um,
1: they- <laughs> blow up your twitter feed after this episode i think it's because we're getting older and we're on our way to being disabled ourselves that's a firm. hell of a
3: thing to say to a man
1: like the, the, in uh in like uh the deadly years
3: but of course in dagger the mine there was that kiss underneath the mistletoe at the christmas party aboard the enterprise so Perhaps. Helen, Ameri- oh, I think you can point that out should... to somebody on. <laughs> <laughs> what Ashley's referring to is for those of you keeping track at home, we just completed a series of um, episodes on Star Trek Bibles. And uh, one of our listeners was irate that we would deign to refer to anything as a Bible because, of course, Star Trek was uh, secular in nature and was not a religious show, nor
1: was C. Sometimes. Ronberry. Did somebody really? Is that? True. Yes, yeah, they really actually
2: a, did. That's a true story. But I love this. The tweet starts with JFC. What's that mean? Jesus, Jesus fucking, fucking Christ. Christ.
3: Oh. <laughs> wow. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was like the uh you know Jewish Federation of Planets or something. Okay. Um
2: <laughs> What's that? Wasn't that like at the end of History of the World part one?
3: I thought it was uh, Jefferson <laughs> Jefferson fried chicken. I thought it was the Jefferson starship, but uh <laughs> One of the great competitors of the SmackDown, but I, I yeah, got to right. ask you. Um, uh, it, it's so weird because, of course, in the industry, for those of us in the industry, which is all four of us, um, <laughs> the the, the, the um, a TV series has a, a has a uh, something that's created uh, before it goes series called the Bible. It's called the Bible. Yeah. Okay, we didn't invent the word. No, <laughs> you know, it's called the Bible. So you are basically saying we should not call it a Bible, even though. It's it's called the Bible. It's It's called the Bible. We should call it something else. Everyone calls it a Bible. You know, I I don't know what. Maybe we're us we can maybe we can start a movement to change the Bible to something else. Yes. Let us find a new
2: word that will make us angry in 15 years. I I, it's God, I just people. Everybody
3: finds something to be upset about, isn't it? Because it feels good.
1: It's a lifestyle choice. You have to choose. Nowadays, people are choosing to be angry. Go. Or stay, but do it because it is what you wish to do. Hey Rob, that's a cool shirt. <laughs> Are you selling those? Yeah, it's my merch.
3: That's nice. Nice. My- I like that. that's, that's a really nice territory. shirt. That's, that's
1: great. Thing. Are you handing those out as Christmas presents? Or- mm, well, if you if you guys would like one for Christmas, I'm happy oh, to purchase them. I would them. like oh,
3: one for Hanukkah. Great.
1: I will I will make sure you have one. Or, or Festivus, either one. I, I will. Uh, yeah. And you can actually, there's also a version with a, it looks like a planet, but it's actually physical oh. media. It's actually a Blu-ray. Oh, oh nice. breast.
3: And of course, uh, you can pick up your Inglorious Treksports swag at IngloriousTrexperts.com, courtesy of the multi-talented Darren Docterman as well. So there's a lot of good swag
1: out there oh, uh, to it. be had for the holidays. This is actually, these are very comfortable uh, hoodies. It looks very, you look very comfortable there it's in your the observatory.
3: Comforted. Rumi. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Okay. Musical well, listen. Rumi. Yesterday, on, on on the previous episode, on our previous, previous episode, I... glorious you <laughs> may recall Captain Picard had been abducted by the Borg. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> we had uh, completed epi- uh, number 85 of our list of 101 uh, greatest science fiction movies of all time. Uh, we ended with Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Um, and we said goodbye to the planet Earth. But now we're back with episode episode with number 84 resuming our countdown as we count down to the number one greatest science fiction movie of all time. And again, for those of you who weren't with us for our last episode, I want to remind you that fantasy movies and horror films as well as superhero movies are not eligible. We're we're being very strict about only including science fiction movies. So you may find movies are considered horror films, but they have a sci-fi element to them uh, that makes them eligible. So um, without any further ado, uh, number 84, Ashley, tell us what is in
2: the 84 slot. I'll tell you what's in 1984. What the hell? I'll tell you what's. (laughs) We're off to a great start. I'll tell you. Wait, me, I, (laughs) I, I'm off to a great start. I'll tell you what's in the 84 slot. What is in the 84 slot? Is a movie from 1981, which is why I got confused. There's too many 80s, um, uh, and it, it's it's really it's a, it's it's rather unique on this list. It is the only, I believe. Well, spoiler alert: maybe there will be more, but so far, it's <laughs> it's, the, it's so far it's uh it's the first. See, I'm off to a great start. It's the first uh, animated film. To it's some
0: dumb cartoon rated G for kids,
2: yeah, that's right. Ah. Um, no, actually, like the uh, the, the movie in question, um, oh my God. It's, <laughs> tell us it's the first, know, it's, perhaps last of its kind, it's the last of its kind. 1981's Heavy Metal,
5: Columbia Pictures presents Heavy Metal, a trip beyond the future to a universe you've never seen before. A universe of mystery. A universe of passionate fantasies. A universe of terrifying evil. A universe of magic. Heavy metal. Beyond science fiction.
2: Uh, Heavy metal is, is very special film because in a way it created, defined and solely occupies its own genre. Um, Clearly it wasn't the first example of animation that was aimed at adults. Um, It wasn't the first example of animation um, that used contemporary music um, there's all kinds of examples of that. For example, there was, you know, yellow submarine, I mean, animation with the Beatles. Um, but the thing that was special about heavy metal was where it took its inspiration and how it melded, um, all of these elements together to create an anthology of stories that were linked together by an overstory, um, that uh, that was that was that was simple. That was cool. That was fun. Um, it was produced by Ivan Reitman, um, who uh, you know you would know as the man who directed Ghostbusters. Uh, who uh, whose uh, whose son just directed uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, he assembled a just a cast of stars uh, for his voice talent. Um, And just incredibly funny, but also like just incredibly great um, voice performances throughout. And what he did that was incredibly special with this film was he drew artistic inspiration from Heavy Metal magazine and not just the the literary material, right? It's like, it's one thing to do an adaptation, right? To kind of take that material and say, now we're going to do this, you know, we're going to do this animated version of it, but they actually try to convey the artistic style of the artists who were involved, right? So whether you're talking about Bernie Wrightson or Mobius, Mm -hmm. um, it's all there. Uh, And it's just such an eclectic, interesting mix of stories and tones. You have everything from a future noir about a taxi driver uh, who gets mixed up with the wrong girl to a B-17 in World War II uh, that's full of zombies. Uh, to the great Captain Stern segment um, that is just completely bananas. Um, it ranges from horror, to, uh, to hard sci-fi, to just high fantasy. And it's, it's awesome in every way. And in fact, it's been an incredible inspiration to people who work in the animation business uh, for the last good lord has it been 40 years 40 years this year yeah 40 years like people like david fincher you know uh, you love death robots on uh, on netflix yeah. i mean in their hearts of hearts they wanted to do heavy metal they they couldn't do heavy metal but by god they captured the spirit of heavy metal in love death robots um for me personally on my show on netflix dota dragon's blood um never, you know, heard, of it was, it. never heard of it especially not rob uh, it was very much an influence on what we did right down to taking the, the title of a deleted scene from Heavy Metal and using that as the title of an episode, which has some thema- thematic connection this, um, to that deleted section.
1: This movie also has an incredibly cool connection to Star Trek. I bet you didn't okay. know that, did you? What is it? So, it's shot at Bronson Caves. The evil character, the evil, the Loch is voiced by none other than Canadian actor, because this is basically a Canadian production, Percy Rodriguez. Huh, yeah. mm, and Percy Stone. Rodriguez played Commodore Stone in the episode mm. Court Martial. Correct. In Star Trek, he also was one of the great voiceover trailer artists yeah. of the 70s that favored. Come, come on, terrific Darren. voice. Do it. do it, do it, do it, Darren. It's as if God created the devil and given him jaws. See, I, can't, I can't go that
4: low.
1: That was awesome. Uh, uh, Percy Rodriguez is an Afro-Portuguese actor that was actually born in Montreal. And uh, what a handsome man he was. And uh, if you grew up in the 70s, if you are a kid of the 70s, you knew his voice.
3: Yeah.
1: And when I first saw this movie, I saw it at the same theater that I saw Star Wars in, in Seattle at the UA 150. Yeah, said, oh, I'm
3: not asking for it. I demand it. I demand it.
1: Uh, I, I knew as soon as I heard his voice as the Loch I'm like, that's Percy Rodriguez. Amazing. No, I mean, look,
2: it, it, there's nothing about this movie that isn't amazing. Like, I mean, and if, if you look at just the like the the soundtrack, I mean, who what mad genius thinks that, you know, what we're going to do, kids, is we're going to take um, Sammy Hagar and Blue Oyster Cult and Journey, and Black Sabbath, and Stevie Nicks, and we're going to mix them up with Elmer Bernstein.
3: That's Uh, what we're going to do
2: musically. And it's
3: awesome. Well, the Elmer Bernstein score is, I mean, for a guy whose scores include everything from Stripes to The Magnificent Seven to Sweet Smell of Success. And Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters. And and Airplane. Heavy metal is extraordinary. It's a great,
1: great score. It is a great score. And I have to point out, there's another star trek connection to this movie oh lord a wrecked refit motion picture enterprise appears in this film does it appear in
2: the very beginning
1: no it it appears i think it appears in either in the captain stern sequence or good Nyborg, you know when harold Ramos they're snorting up the um right uh,
2: it's uh so beautiful so dangerous
1: so beautiful so dangerous i th- I think it's in so beautiful so dangerous it also had an incredible one sheet
3: yeah, yes it, it did does. the artwork the key art's beautiful yeah 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 i had that i had that as a kid in my room love that one love that one sheet um yeah it's a great pick you know i mean anthology films are you know usually hit or miss and you know, my, you know, my, I kind of feel it's kind of hit or miss, but when it hits, it's it's great fun. Yeah. So that's awesome. 84. Awesome, 84 heavy metal, big inspiration on Ashley's show, Dota Dragons Blood, currently airing on Netflix. It has a Bible, by the way. It does. Um, <laughs> so um. It
2: that, even has a small catechism. That's the screwy part. I don't even.
3: <laughs> that brings us to. I love when people tell us what things should be. Right. When we it's know our what they job are, to tell them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everybody has an opinion. Remember the <laughs> days when expertise mattered? When not oh, that, everybody those days was, are long gone, Mark. When not everybody yeah. was was not everybody's opinion was equal. Back when people actually who knew things mattered, their opinions mattered more than the people who just talked for the sake of talking because they thought they their opinion was worth the same. Podcast. Oh shit. Wait a <laughs> Number 83. 83. <laughs> Darren Docterman.
0: For those of you who are paranoid about the uh, coming uh, subservience of mankind to AI, um, perhaps on, no, movie, no movie uh, besides Terminator, which played with the idea, but not really. It's, that was more of a... Uh, uh, a shoot 'em up. This is how it really would happen. <laughs>
4: okay.
0: This is uh, this is from 1970. Uh, the the peak of uh, of uh, uh, these sort of movies that feel really flat. I mean, I and I'm, I'm speaking in terms of just tone.
1: Um, yeah, because this is a beautiful have, widescreen film.
0: <laughs> it, it absolutely is, but but it has the feeling of uh, almost a documentary. Yes. And it's a very strange tone that uh, makes up this story of, it's a, basically a horror story, uh, if you're not a fan of computers. Uh, it's Colossus, the Forbin project.
5: This is the dawning of the age of Colossus. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dr. Charles Forbin. In a few moments, Colossus will address us directly. This is the voice of world control. I bring you peace. It may be the peace of plenty and contempt, or the peace of unburied death. The choice is yours. Obey me and live, or disobey and die. The frightening story of the day man built himself out of existence. Colossus, the Forbin Project.
4: making you a prisoner.
5: Shock, horror, suspense, created with all the technological brilliance of 2001, a space odyssey. Colossus is the ultimate in sophisticated computers. I'm going to try to convince the computer that you're my mistress, and that therefore I have to be given the opportunity to see you regularly in private. That way we can pass information back and forth. Four times a week. Good night. This is insane. When do you think you'll be able to attempt the overload? Colossus sees all, senses all, knows all, controls all armaments and all defenses. When this emotionless creation becomes the master of man, the result is catastrophic. The Supreme Council of the USSR has ordered as of 2300 hours Moscow time tomorrow the activation of an electronic brain exactly like ours, which they call Guardian. They built Colossus, supercomputer with a mind of its own. Then they had to fight it for the world. The missile has just been launched. It is heading towards the sian CBS oil complex. Guardian has retaliated. Retaliated? It may be too late, sir. Oh my god
0: now uh, this uh, this features Eric Braden who is you know, uh, right before his clash with apes, so um, he was well prepared to deal in this uh, in this sci-fi world back in the 70s. And, it's a shared uh,
3: universe. He's Doctor Hesslein in this too. I think
0: I think that would be great if he were the same character in in, in these movies. Um, it was directed by Joe Sargent, who was a Star Trek director. He directed the Might Maneuver, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's pretty. It's pretty frightening because uh, it's completely believable that uh, you know the if if we go if we go full bore, let's trust the scientists. This is where we might go, actually. And I know that's not a popular opinion, but um, but frankly, this is uh, this is one of the scarier things. Now, uh, I, I worked on a, a project that never got made called uh, uh, Robo Apocalypse, which. Uh, sort of works on the same premise, uh, in that uh, the more complex the uh, systems that we give computers to the take care the of, greater the need for play. No, oh. <laughs> uh, the 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 more power we give them, the more they'll take because they think they deserve it. Um, and it's actually a good argument uh, given by Colossus in this film. That uh, obviously, mankind is not to be trusted, and uh, for his protection, I will control things now. Um, so it's actually a, a, a reasonable position by the antagonist in this film. Um, it uh, the the setup is that both uh, the United States and uh, the Soviet Union gives power to control their launching of nuclear missiles to these big mainframe computers. I mean, this is obviously a mainframe in the 70s, uh, took up a lot of space. And, uh, you know, our iPhone is more powerful than that now. But let's just say that uh, there existed a huge, powerful thinking machine that uh, took up the inside of a mountain. And uh, that's what they put in control of the nuclear missiles. And uh, and so. When they finally connect the two uh, brains from Russia and the United States, there's silence for a few minutes. (laughs) And it's like that old joke that, you know, you ask the supercomputer, uh, is there a God? And it, you know, you wait for a couple seconds and it says there is now. You know, so it's it's uh, it's a frightening because the two computers talk to each other and they figure out. You know what? This is a dangerous situation. Let's uh, let's not have the humans deal with this at all anymore. And it's uh, it's it's very paranoid. It's very um, you know fear of uh, fear of the strong state, fear of uh, 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 powerlessness, uh, and it's uh, it's really. It's really intense, you know, especially for a 70s film, uh, which are sometimes, as I said, a little flat. But this is this is a fun one.
2: Uh, you know, if they remade that today, like you could have the the two supercomputers talk to each other and then go on an adventure. It could be a buddy comedy. Oh, right. right? Be like, they like Chi rob Chichin through the Chong. internet. <laughs> Chong's electric dreams. Come on, right. guys. What? Who's with me?
1: What I do want to point out, too, is this movie is a literary adaptation, and the, there are three books in the series. And one of the co-stars of this movie, again, was William Shatner. That's correct. Uh, who, who was a co-star in The Trouble with Tribbles, Mr. Barris. And he also was in a Deep Space Nine episode before he passed away.
0: And Marion Ross is also in it.
1: Yes. Mrs. Cunningham. Mrs. Cunningham. And, <laughs> you know, this film has some really uh, impressive matte paintings. There's a lot of uh, really great work uh, that that was done great in this movie. Uh, There really is. And uh, I think that the film,
0: the voice of Colossus is the great Paul freeze.
1: Yeah. The great Paul freeze who
0: is the voice of the doom of earth in beneath the planet (laughs) of the 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 apes.
3: Apes. So it's all related (laughs) and Admiral Yamamoto in midway, but that
1: doesn't really connect with anything (laughs) we've just said. Um, And also, you know, this was released by universal and in the early 70s, this came out in 1970, they they released this and they released um, Silent Running, yeah. which I'm sure is on this list at some point. Yes, maybe. I don't know. Should we not talk about that yet? We'll find maybe will out
0: later, won't we? Maybe Who knows? We'll but, maybe uh,
1: you know, they did release this, I just have to say, on Laserdisc. Yeah. They released Colossus and Silent Running in the widescreen format, letterboxed on Laserdisc together. So kudos to... Universal for always giving Colossus the Forbidden project the love that it deserves. This movie, actually, when you go, I watched it recently. It's really good. Yeah. It's really smart. It has a lot of humor. It's it's got some sexy time in it. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a good little movie. Yeah. I'm a big
3: fan of Colossus too. I I'm really glad it's on this list. I, I would imagine a lot of people who are listening to the show haven't heard of this film. Yeah. And it's worth uh, seeking out. It's really good. Um, It's it's a really terrific um, film. And, you know, the 50s and 70s movie, uh, 60s and 70s movies, really good at synthesizing our fears, you know, Cold War paranoia, later our fear of computers and, you know, and and, and turning them into compelling entertainment. You know, later, you know, once they get to the 80s and 90s and beyond, movies aren't about anything. You know, they're yeah, not really. They're escapists. Yeah, and 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 this is back in the time where, you know, it's it's a very interesting look at our feel of how potentially computers not only could be an asset but uh, a real threat um, to humanity, and it's well, I, it's a great this film. Was
0: a, this was a film where you could you could go on a Saturday matinee and uh, and watch for a couple hours and 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 leave the theater being really depressed about the uh, possibilities of the future.
3: Yeah. <laughs> not only Paul Frees. You know, we talked about Percy Rodriguez having one of the great voices yeah. in the history of cinema, and James Earl Jones. Paul Frees is up there in that pantheon of oh, amazing absolutely. voices,
0: and he's he's you know he's a very famous uh, Disneyland voice. He's the voice of the uh, haunted mansion. That's
3: always
1: my way. <laughs> absolutely.
2: Well, I for one welcome our new robot
1: overlords. <laughs> you know, it was interesting. As should you? I mean, this film, um, the idea of AI as our new overlords, we saw it in Logan's Run. We saw it in *Demon Seed*. Uh, this idea that computers would wind up controlling human destiny was something that was very much at the forefront of science fiction in the 70s. Little did we know, right?
2: <laughs> I mean, sure, it like it didn't take the form we expected. Little, it little took did the we form of
0: willingly we would give we would, up our right? our, our yeah. personalities to the computer.
2: Sure, it turned out to be Twitter, right? Which is a, it's like the the equivalent of like you know of the destroyer being the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and Ghostbusters. But at the it's end of the day, Twitter, it's Facebook. Yeah, that's but well, it's both of them, man. It's or like, Meta. It's the, yeah, Meta. It's like it's social media Dude, so in general. Like is just
1: it has is the robot apocalypse that uh, that we uh, that we fear. But yeah. by the way, this movie is now fifty. Or wait a minute, yeah, it's fifty one years old. We learn nothing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, 51 years ago, uh, they were telling us whether, whether you are on a Miniar and in or whether you were a Colossus was being in the building, a machine in the um, Grand Canyon. Well, I don't know if
3: you've even, you know, read like recently in the newspapers, they've talked a lot about, about giving a lot of control over drone warfare to AI so it can sort of calculate and move quicker in terms of launching an attack or deciding if there's too much risk and sort of allowing the AI to control. And it's like, did you see Colossus, Deform project? No, <laughs> well, this is a terrible idea. I, I will say that that
2: conversation, and, I, and I, I say this with some knowledge of it, like with the, that conversation has been going on for at the very least 30 years. And I will tell you, what the objection is and what the objection always will be that the, the, here's the thing to watch for like and to go, Oh shit, something has changed and it's going to be scary. Nobody right. Wants to give up control of their button because it's their button. And if things get screwed up, it's on them. We have the technology right now to take, uh, to, you know, to, to to fully integrate, like, you know, the naval forces on the water or forces in the air, right? We can do all of those things, but there's a, there are kind of political emotional reasons why we keep a a human in the loop. Like who heard
1: the torpedo explode and (laughs) I was never here. (laughs)
2: Exactly. That was James Earl
1: Jones by way of Sulu.
2: Right.
3: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What if James Earl Jones played Sulu? (laughs) <laughs> the performance of George Kai Today will be played by James Earl Jones <laughs> It's like the playbill We get the replacement um, okay. okay Well that was Colossus the Foreman Project Now we're up to ni- ni- 82 Now let me tell you about 82 You guys are probably familiar with um, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington And yes. the, the filibuster Well for many years, I've wanted to talk about this film on our little podcast, and now at last, I finally get my chance. So, well, I see back. you found a way. <laughs> Life will find a way. Life so, finds a way. So, so sit back and grab your dinner and enjoy because we're going to be here for a while.
0: Well, it's a shame we
3: can't hear this because we have to break <laughs> for a commercial. Uh, <laughs> Number eighty-two <laughs> is. The black hole.
5: There is an inexorable force in the cosmos where time and space converge. A place beyond man's vision, but not his reach. It is the most mysterious and awesome point in the universe. Where the here and now may be forever. And my ship, you ask. It is unavoidable. Moving through space. Swallowing everything in its path Radio waves, light. Are you programmed to speak? Even planets and stars. Straight for the black
3: hole. What'll we do? We wait.
5: We got you. Right. We got you. Hurry. It's all right. My God, I think it's got us man who is about to enter. we got a break here, too. yes ladies and gentlemen
3: this is the story of an expedition uh led by the late robert forster the intrepid journalist ernest borgnine the um little flighty scientist
0: whatever the hell he did yeah yeah
3: um uh anthony perkins uh and weena from the time machine uh, yeah exactly show us your weena and uh and they encounter her her missing Father in the event horizon of a black hole, um, where they find the Cygnus, uh, captained by Maximilian Schell, is Dr. Hans Reinhardt. And uh, it's a haunted house in space, uh, a giant spaceship that looks like it's from the world's fair circle, uh, circa 1896, but somehow it's managed to make it across so, the solar system. I found this on the web. Um, what? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. And um, what's so interesting is it basically is a remake of 20,000 Leagues under the sea. Um, but uh, what, Disney was trying to do after Star Wars was get back in the game. People now can't appreciate what a disaster Disney was. I mean, yeah. other than re-releasing their classic animated films uh and occasionally putting out sort of subpar, you know, movies for kids uh, that would, you know, gross a couple of bucks, you know, with old um sort of over the hill actors from sitcoms from the Thank 60s. The
0: escape from Witch Mountain.
3: Yeah, I, I, I and and you know they they didn't have much success. I mean, it was basically on life support um, that studio, and they decided they were going to put they were going all in. They were putting all their chips on this big movie, the Black Hole for Christmas, nineteen seventy nine. And let's face it, Black Hole isn't very good. We all know that, but we, we not love a it. Very, it's not a very well written film. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but it doesn't it make looks, a black
1: hole a lot of sense. And, looks, and by the way, it's not very scientifically accurate either. Well, it's not what? remotely
3: scientifically accurate, that's for sure.
1: But what There's it no did explosive do, decompression in this
3: movie, it came out two weeks after Star Trek the Motion Picture. It was the the it was it was a truly merry Christmas because not only do we have Star Trek the Motion Picture, but then two weeks later, just when you're you're coming down from the excitement of Star Trek, got to see another huge sci-fi space adventure. Um, And, you know, it had robots. Roddy McDowell is Vincent. Slim Pickens is old Bob. It had a beautiful score by John Barry.
1: It had truly truly a beautiful score. One of the the great Great, sweeping and majestic ten minutes of it. It had
3: it had an overture.
1: Yes, it did. It
3: had a freaking overture.
1: And uh,
3: it played over
0: and over again during the movie. That's okay.
1: It had Star, the
3: gun-toting, quick-draw artist robot. Um, you know, and it was just, it was creepy. It was creepy. What happened to the crew? We don't know. Where have they gone? They've well, been and you know, what in is the, the legs, Eggs. What is the mystery of the sickness? And, uh, you know, Maximilian Schell left
1: no scenery unchewed. And
3: <laughs> it was great.
1: And, and it uh, also had a really great look to it space space was not just dark and black it was blue and colorful it was like under the sea it really did evoke twenty thousand leagues well the great
0: great peter ellenshaw designed the movie and it is just gorgeous the the sickness itself is uh is sort of like uh uh stacking a couple eiffel towers together and putting an engine on them uh it's kind of awesome
3: it's great as a double double barreled laser gun that no other science fiction show movie had that was so cool it had you know just great design work and yeah, they did a it... great
2: job of conveying the scale of it
3: oh it felt huge which is Montorail. amazing
2: considering like and what it Montorail. was next to right and the fact that then there wasn't anything else to give anything scale like in that space i mean and it just felt i mean as as insanely maybe it's not insanely long right but it's like The uh, the approach of the Palomino to the Cygnus just sticks with me because it just made me feel like that ship was so effing
1: big. They gave her back to you, Robert Forster. (laughs) Well, I I just love the fact that somebody decided to put Marty and Psycho together in a kids movie.
3: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) because everyone loves Kids love Urs Borgnine, sure do. And you and, know what they love even more? Slim Pickens. But you know what they love? Monorails. Just like at Disneyland, and the ship's so big, you got to take a monorail to get across it. How awesome is that? Well, it and would then be even what more if a awesome giant if it didn't meteor feel like was? you were riding a monorail the whole movie? What if a giant meteor slices through it, what and you happen? can't take the monorail? No. What if you end up in hell at the end of this movie? Which oh, you do?
1: I mean, come on. I mean, you know, that's how cool this movie is. It's, it's unbelievable a- that Disney made this film in hindsight. It's, so, it's yeah. such a mess. <laughs> it, 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 it is a mess, but I have to tell you, it is a glorious, crazy artifact of a time where a studio was in turmoil. Yep. They didn't know what they were. They Their classic animation had long since not been re-releasable. We spent the 70s watching... Herbie movies, watching Candle Shoe with Jodie Foster, or The Treasure of Matacumbe, or a movie like uh, to, to me, what, what what Island at the Top of the World was, oh. which was another Disney movie that yeah. it's yeah. not been nearly the credit it deserves. Yeah. If Island at the Top of the World yeah. and the Black Hole play on a double bill for all time, I would watch it
3: in hell. <laughs> um, so,
1: so, but you know, and also it's
3: like, you know, we're. I mean, the director was from the Disney stable of directors. I mean, it's just like, you know, they thought they were doing Star Wars and, you know, but they didn't realize, you know, Lucas had a vision. I and mean, they know. didn't understand Star Wars. They didn't understand the success of Star Wars. And yet the fact that they they were, you know, it's like Vena. They didn't know how to put Star Wars together. You know, they didn't have the blueprint. So instead it's this weird it's like a Frankenstein of all these different parts, old Disney movies and weird sci-fi conceits and 50s stuff. And, 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 and these actors who have no right being in this movie. I mean, Hans, you uh, Max shell says he had no interest in doing the movie, but they were going to fly him to California. He'd be here for a couple of weeks and he figured he could do writing on a script or something. Like he had no interest in being in the movie and you could tell, but I mean, you know, and Rob and I have told this story on the podcast before, but it's such a great story. I love it. When we were at Cannes with Free Enterprise and Bill Shatner, we were going to the Free Enterprise party, which was also co-sponsored with a, a movie called the Henry Jaggle movie called Festival in Cannes. And and at the party was Maximilian Schell. And so for the first time since Judgment <laughs> at Nuremberg, Bill Shatner was reunited with with uh, uh, Maximilian Schell to two starship other. captains well that and Rob and I just looked at each other it's like <laughs> the hell with judgment in Nuremberg it's Dr Hans Reinhardt and Captain Kirk together for the first time
1: <laughs> and I have to also say that, that one of the great byproducts of this movie was at the time toy companies who had all missed the boat on Star Wars were looking for the next best thing so Mego the toy company had gone all in yeah. on the black hole. They had their three and
3: three. Star Trek the motion picture. Yeah. Oh, and wow. It was not Star Trek a very, very Merry Christmas the black for them. Hole.
1: They had three and three quarter inch figures and 12 inch figures of Ernest Borgnine, Anthony Perkins, Maximilian Shell, and Percy Forrester. And <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, and the robots. Unbelievable.
3: Oh, God. I it's know. Meanwhile, if, uh, if it's Octurian, baby. Diamond Select came out with some great Vincent and Old Bob and Maximilian figures like last year. Yes, they did. How cool! The robots that? were great designs. They were. They were. Darren's looking at us like, "Shut up!" No, I'm not.
0: I'm not. I I have nothing against the design in this movie. No, it's like it's
2: it's, it's interesting. It's, it's yeah. I, have, I mean, it's like it's like somebody took a fifties uh, storytelling approach. They combined it with you know actually a 50s science fiction aesthetic yeah and they and they placed it in the middle of this this amazing like special effects like just creation right of 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 the Cygnus, like somehow like around this they built that and that to me is the is is the most awesome thing about the black hole
0: it's the it's, science fiction story that your mom would come up with.
2: I mean, seriously. You haven't met my mom. But yeah,
0: (laughs) you you, you give them these ingredients and then ask them to put it together into a science fiction movie, and that's what you get.
1: Yeah. By the way, I I just have to add this story. Um, My step-grandmother, Sissy Schoenfeld, may she rest in peace, I was going to see this movie opening night, and she said, no, you're going to see a ballet. Oh and God. I went and saw the ballet Coppelia. And I was very upset that I was going to see a ballet. It turned out Cop- Coppelia was basically about a wind up doll, a robot. So on that Friday that the movie opened, I went and saw the ballet. And then the next day on Saturday, I went and saw this movie. So I got I it turned out to be good it- all the way around. The best of it was that robot was voiced
3: by Slim Pickens.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> no. Not so much uh, that actually that's, that's look, that's great. That's a lot of robots that we get. Our a lot of friends. robots yeah, and culture um,
1: at the same time
3: and culture. Well, it wasn't at the black hole. That's for sure. It was, it was at the ballet, but yeah, you know, look, the black hole, um, you know, it, it's still, it's only on, it it, 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 it always gets such disrespect. It's, it's only on Blu-ray through the Disney movie club. It was never officially put out on, on Blu-ray, You know, there's been talk talk of, um, you know, remakes over the years. Uh, uh, You know, Joe Joe some people were involved in those remakes, weren't they? Who who did Oblivion, was attached to it for a while, but nothing's happened. I wonder if now with Disney Plus, if if there's a chance to see the black hole resurrected in some form or fashion. Hold on, guys, I got to text my agent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing a Bible for a TV series based on it's black got hole. about heaven and hell and robots.
3: That's right, that's right. Well, you anyway, know? that was '82, the black hole, and I, you know, I always wondered what happened because obviously the ending is so surreal. But you know, uh, there, there were uh, Charlton Comics put out a wonderful comic series called Beyond the Black Hole, <laughs> which continued the adventure for Beyond a whole the another four issues. the Black
1: Hole. <laughs> They met the same family that was in Jerry Anderson's Into Infinity, aka the Day After Tomorrow, which wow. was a staple of seventies television for us kids. Okay, well there you have it. We finally,
3: we finally got to talk about the black hole on Inglorious Trexperts. And uh, Darren's wondering how it got on the list along with Moonraker. He's still I know exactly how it. it got on the list. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that brings us uh, that brings us to number eighty-one, Darren.
0: Eighty-one. So, it's a lovely number. Uh, another number is 90, 1990. And uh, uh, basically, uh, ni- the summer of 1990 was uh, when uh, we were told to get our ass to Mars. And, and we found the ass on Mars, and he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, and uh, it's the, uh, the, the Philip K. Dick uh, loosely adapted story uh, called Total Recall or Total Recall, if you would ask uh, uh, Ron Chassett. Um, Or Ron Chassett.
5: Your mind, it is the center of your life. It is everything you hear, everything you see, everything you feel. It is everything you are. How would you know if someone stole your mind? Arrest that woman Quade cut. Get ready for a surprise!
3: We can't let him run around, he knows too much. They've got your bug. I get a lock. There! The bug's in your skull.
5: Take this thing out of the case
1: and stick it up your nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. Got him.
5: I lost him. welcome to mars you got a lot of nerve showing your face around here look who's talking
4: you erased your identity and implanted a new one
5: if i'm not me who the hell am i
0: <laughs> welcome to johnny cab drive where can i take you tonight Please fasten your seatbelt. I want Quaid delivered alive for reimplantation.
4: That's for making me come to Mars. You wouldn't hurt me. After all, we're married.
5: Consider that a divorce. You enjoyed the ride,
0: right? <laughs> um, it's uh, you know, they they made a remake of this movie that was horrible.
1: <laughs> which we I own out. on Blu-ray. Don't ask me oh why.
2: Why? Yeah, why? No, have, <laughs> which they don't go to Mars. They don't. They don't do anything. They did not do anything <laughs> in that movie that. except they killed my Starship Troopers remake. Anyway, okay. go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. Um.
0: Total recall is the story recall. of, uh, total recall <laughs> is the story of uh, uh, Douglas Quaid, not Dennis Quaid, Douglas Quaid, yeah. who um, is you know, supposedly he's a normal everyday construction worker.
1: And uh, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger screams everyday man.
0: Yeah. I mean, just, uh, you know, just like in True Lies, you know. He's he's not a he's not a, a a computer salesman in this one. He's just a no. construction worker. Wasn't Cronenberg
3: um, supposed to do it originally, and he had someone in mind to? I much... think
0: I think at one point Richard Dreyfus was going yeah, to be in the, yeah. in the main role, which I think would have made a really interesting movie because you don't expect Richard Dreyfus to be an action hero. Yeah, and I think that the contrast would have been interesting. Um, however, uh, uh, you know uh, Schwarzenegger is. Uh, is married to Sharon Stone, and he's bored with his life. What the hell is wrong with this guy? <laughs> uh, you know, he's he's an idiot. Okay, so we we're our our, our main character is an idiot who goes to this uh, this company called Recall uh, that uh, gives you a vacation in your mind which uh, they basically injected into your, uh, into your brain. And
3: recall, uh, ex- recall,
0: recall, recall, recall. And, and you experience all the wonderfulness of a, uh, you know, of a two week vacation uh, and you don't have to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Now there are a couple different uh, opinions as to what actually happens in this movie, whether he goes on the vacation in his mind and his mind is fried Or if all this actually happens to him. I kind of like, I kind of like both ideas, actually.
1: I do too.
2: Right. Me too. The ultimate uh, staycation. uh, Or.
0: Because uh, all the, all the parameters that they ask him when they are uh, uh, setting up his vacation, um, all these parameters come true in the realization of the, uh, Mm. of the experience. And. It's uh, it's very funny because uh, it basically turns this supposedly mild mannered dude into a uh, into a uh, heartless killer and a uh, action adventure star, uh, and it's uh, it's all wrapped around this uh, strange uh, story of uh, previous life on Mars and uh, and uh, planet environment uh, 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 technology and. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, actually. It's it's definitely a B movie, though. It's a B movie done at an absolute A uh, level. Gives them the
3: Alcohagen.
1: Yeah, you've got but to it also, to give these people. Yeah, the production design. This is the weirdest looking, maybe mm-hmm. one of the weirdest looking science fiction movies ever made. It mm-hmm. it it's production design. It was shot predominantly in Mexico. Yeah, and it. It, this film just looks. No other movie looks like this. I know they shot with a lot of fluorescent lights.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, it, the,
1: the 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 it actually the, looks like a telenovela. Yeah, the the it really does. The special effects are not particularly convincing, but they're so over the top and operatic that you just go with it. Yeah, it's all very
0: theatrical in a way.
1: It's very theatrical, and it's there's something. Nothing looks or feels like this movie has a terrific Jerry Goldsmith score.
0: Absolutely. Well, the the production design was by a friend of mine, uh, Bill Sandel, and he um, he made full use of the uh, of the environments down there near Chiribusco. And uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, poured concrete and stuff like that that uh, was in the uh, train station. And and he, he basically riffed on that stuff. And I think it's a very interesting look. And again, y- like you said, we hadn't seen it before or since. No, but, you know, no.
3: also Joseph Vacano shot it. Yeah. And it's very flat. You know, yeah. there's not yeah, a lot of I mean. shadow or grain or grit or um, it's very, you know, it's just like, Flood light
0: high key light. It's yeah, like what, what we used to call happy days lighting. Yeah. Uh, that they they blanket the whole scene with light. And there's no but show. Bearhoven loves part. that
3: because that's how he, he shot Starship Troopers
0: does. too. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And e- even there's there's uh Kan shot this. He didn't shoot uh basic instinct. Right. But the the this film, there's nothing this film, this film is so whenever it can go over the top, whether it's line readings. Or you've got three-breasted mutants on Mars. The yeah. colors, their makeup they, effects gags with the eyes bulging out like they Roger. Do everything Rabbit. they can to not be realistic. Yeah, and, well, and somehow they do everything
0: it works. They can to make it like a dream state.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it is, and it plays that way, and I love it for that.
0: Yeah, I do too. Yeah. But you know the 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 thing that you come back after seeing this movie is Schwarzenegger. Is a freaking movie star because mm-hmm. he, can, he can pull off the stupidest things in this movie and mm-hmm. you're completely with him all the way.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. And okay, it's, by this it's a time, lot of
0: fun to just watch him go at it.
3: And by it's, this time, you expected those Schwarzenegger <laughs> witticisms, and they all work. It's like, you know, consider this is a divorce. <laughs> and, you know, uh, cool. see you at the party. And it's just like, you know, it's great. You know, it, it, it's almost those like James Bond one liars. And he is playing this sort of secret agent on
1: Mars. So it if, works.
0: If I'm What's, not me, who am I?
1: <laughs> What's so interesting about this movie is when you watch it today, you look at this and go, what happened to movies? <laughs> Nothing looks like this. I mean, this everything about what? this movie, even the opening credits, yeah. with the with the flowing upwards i mean it's so what is this <laughs> and, and i love it for that I think And the no the is this happened to movies right yeah and no one's
3: casting ronnie cox and uh people like michael Angelica today yeah. you know a, a, in those kind of roles and they're so great i mean ronnie yeah. cox is a phenomenal villain in this amazing <laughs> and, and 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 you know michael iron's like Especially when you find out that he's buried to Sharon Stone. Right. And, you right. Know, it's so great.
0: Yeah. I I really like this movie it, it, against my will.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Because, again, it's not a great movie. It just, it looks it's fun. It's fun. And, 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 and in retrospect, it looks so much better compared to what's being made today. Well, this yeah. is true. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, but it also, it really, it, it benefits from a crazy Dutch director, you know who yes. who comes to america after making movies like soldier of orange or katie tipple turkish delights Spetters, the fourth man you know fourth man which is a one of the, my favorite thrillers of the 80s and then sequel to the third man right. but then he comes to america and goes off on this crazy from flesh and blood to robocop to this to basic instinct to starship troopers like he 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 went crazy in America, and and it took a Europe. It took a European from a very open culture, you know, a guy who was raised Catholic who wanted to be a mathematician that became a film director to make something this nuts.
3: And the Star Trek connection with John Povell, who was yep. one of the uh, the writers on this, right. who was uh, a producer on Motion Picture and Phase Two, and a, a, a former guest on this very podcast. Okay, that brings us to number eighty and Ashley Miller.
2: Uh, the, our selection for number 80 also has a very strong connection to the (laughs) Star Trek franchise. (laughs) Although not as much as you would think. (laughs) Um, so when the next generation went off the air, there was a lot of anticipation, uh, for the fact that there was going to be a movie like within months. Of uh, of the series finale of the show, and fans were tremendously excited because it was well. Some of us were tremendously excited because it was gonna it was gonna merge, you know, two generations of Star Trek. You guys remember when there were only two freaking generations of Star Trek? It was gonna merge two generations of Star Trek. Anticipation was high. It had a script by Ronald Moore and Brandon Braga, and you know, fan favorites who had done amazing things would go on to do amazing things and um it wasn't great guys i think we've talked about this like quite a bit right it was a it was it wasn't great like in so many many ways and i think a lot of us felt at the end of that that one of the among the many problems with that film like one of the, the things that really hurt it was that the the cast of the next generation really deserved a chance to kind of come out Um, and have a movie that focused on them, that they could make their own, that they could define for themselves. And the powers that be listened, and they gave us what became Star Trek First Contact.
5: In his nightmares, he can see them. In his mind... He can hear them.
4: Locutus.
5: In his soul, he can feel them. i just received a report from Deep Space Five. Long-range sensors have picked us. Yes, up. I know. The Vorg. Set a course for Earth. Maximum warp. Now, in Earth's darkest hour, he must fight them again. Captain. Earth. Life signs. Population approximately 9 billion, all Borg. How? Time travel. They went back and assimilated Earth, changed history. I must follow them back, repair whatever damage they've done. But this time, they must travel to the past. April 4th, 2063. To save our future. You're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. They invade our space, and we fall back assimilate entire worlds and we fall back not again the line must be drawn here it looks like the control deck's 26 up to 11. mr data and i are returning to the ship don't let them touch you Uh. captain data we must activate the auto-destruct sequence you want to destroy the ship run away you coward if you were any other man i would kill you where you stand
4: rock and roll destroy them and watch
0: your futures
5: end we've lost shields and our weapons are gone resistance is futile perhaps today is a good day to die don't we'll look up the damn
4: ship no
5: we are not going to lose the enterprise not to the Borg, not while I'm in command Star Trek First contact.
2: So I'm going to go on record and say, I mean, look, I I, I think that we all dig this movie, um, probably to varying uh, degrees, but I happen to I happen to love this
1: movie.
0: It's my I favorite mean,
2: of the next generation. It's movie, it's, right? it's it's yeah, 100%. Well,
1: I'd like to talk about an article I wrote about this movie for Sci-Fi Universe magazine.
2: Went back when, like, <laughs> back when uh, we were so young, Star Trek: um, worst we Contact. We were never so young. Wow, this is well, the worst Star Trek movie. Well, I disagree with <laughs> you, um, and that's why I'm doing number eighty <laughs> for like the one hundred and one like best science fiction movies. Um, I love Star Trek: First Contact, and I'll tell you why because uh, it captured the things it, in, in movie form. First of all, it was I, I think one of the few Star Trek films that actually, in fact managed to feel like a movie in spite of the fact that um, at the time uh, we were still in a place where Paramount uh, was, uh, I think, short shrifting the, uh, the budgets for the feature film adventures. Um, I think they gave a little bit more to this one, but they did a great job kind of making it feel like it was a film. Um, the second thing that it did was it leveraged the strengths of the cast, uh, particularly Patrick Stewart. Um, who came out swinging, right? Like, I think that Patrick Stewart was a man with something to prove, right? That he could take a film like this, a big budget feature film, and be the lead. And, and certainly he's proved that over and over again. Um, his presence that he always had on the small screen certainly translated to the big screen. It's, it's a cool story. He's got a great relationship with the great Alfred Woodard. Uh, who plays Lily Sloan, who is essentially the point of view of the audience. Who knows nothing about star Trek. And ultimately what I appreciate most about star Trek first contact as a star Trek fan is that it is in its own way, a movie about star Trek. It's a movie about having faith in the potential of in humanity. <laughs> it's the fa- not the faith of the heart, because then we would have a song that makes us crazy. <laughs> but Faith in human potential, which you know, is something that we've talked about a lot on this show. Which is that what Star Trek is really about is human potential. In spite of our flaws, in spite of the things that that make us uh, perhaps m- not be at our best, uh, our demons, our flabbles, that much is certain. That much is certain. There is there's something about us that makes us reach higher, and that's what I appreciate about this film. On top of the fact that. It was cool, man. It was like a cool depiction of the Borg. There's a great like fight on the saucer section. Um, You know, there's like, you know, some great conflict between Captain Picard and Worf. There's some funny dialogue, Um, you know, Jonathan Frakes, like, look, it's, he, he, it's, he's not, you know, Robert Wise, you know, or Nicholas Meyer, but he turns in like a very solid effort um, with this movie, making it feel like a film doing something that David Carson, who I think we all sort of expected would, would succeed uh, more than he had on Star Trek Generations, um, that he kind of brought something to it. And I think it helped him that he had such a great relationship with the cast that he got those performances out of them. But anyway, that's Star Trek First Contact. Uh, That's my book report uh, on uh, on entry number 80 in our list.
1: I I think this movie, uh, it it, it sent Star Trek down a path that has never recovered from where it, it tries to recover former glory, uh, where it, it uses things that only studios understood, like let's get those villains the Borg or whatever. The plotting of this movie, and I, I, it's both plotting and the plotting of this movie are nonsensical in the extreme. And when I saw this film, it has beautiful things in it. I love the design of the Enterprise-E. I loved all the characters, but the plot, the nonsensical weird time travel plot that culminates with first contact with the Vulcans, which has really nothing to do at all with the rest of this movie. And I, when I watched this film, I felt like it was jerking me around from plot point to plot point to plot point. It felt like it was the most constructed weird souffle of a movie that I'd ever seen. And this added nothing to the lore of the Borg. In fact, I think it did the most egregiously stupid thing it ever did, which was give us a Borg queen. Yeah, The entire point of the Borg was that the Borg were uh, the creation of somebody trying to make artificial enhanced beings, and it went horribly awry. And the idea that they gave us a central villain, a woman, a femme fatale who ran the Borg, destroyed any mystique that they ever had. Don't mince words, Rob. How do you really feel? But I mean, I understand. Everyone loves this movie. Why? It's a lot of fun. The characters are fun. Everything you, that happens is fun. But to me, it was the destruction of intelligent Star Trek. Uh, you've got Picard acting like, and again, when you start giving actors too much power in these franchises, and I love actors. I do. But if you ask them their opinion, They will only ever give you an answer that is about them. Yeah. Actors not thinking, let me let me think about my ensemble cast. No, they're thinking about their parts and what they want to do. Patrick Stewart wanted to be portrayed as an action hero. He wanted to be John McClane. And that that isn't what Patrick Stewart. That's not what Captain Picard is. That's not what this starship is about. And I, I have to say that that I have learned to embrace this film. But I do think that this movie marks a turning point in the Star Trek franchise it never recovered from.
2: Well, it's possible they learned all the wrong lessons from it.
1: Oh, they clearly did. Right.
2: But but you can see that
1: in Insurrection and Nemesis. Alex Krieger is the Borg queen. She's great. It's just her character makes no sense. Yeah. That's to say it is the best Next Generation movie. I don't mean to be a contrarian. Yes. (laughs) But I did write an article for Mark Altman why first contact? It's called worst contact. Why first contact is the worst Star Trek movie. Little did I know what would later happen. Five years ago, Rob. Yeah, uh, if I if I only knew what the future yeah, had then, in store. the franchise would tell you,
3: "Hold my beer." Yeah, like <laughs> I think first contact. You know, a lot of fun. John did a great job directing it. He did. Um, there is um, some wonderful, marvelous set pieces. I love the deflector dish sequence. Finally, it was something cinematic uh, in the next generation movies you know set pieces we couldn't have seen on the tv show um and um and jerry goldsmith scores wonderful jerry
0: goldsmith scores beautiful great
3: you know it's beautiful and it elevates uh, elevates the movie and um you know obviously it's a crowd pleaser it's a big crowd pleaser and uh, i think that rob makes some some good points about uh you know in much the way uh, you know you can make the same argument unfortunately that that con sort of uh, in many ways, damaged the original series uh, movies by um, uh, giving people the wrong impression about what Star Trek was about. I mean, it's interesting. They're both Moby Dick stories, Star Trek II and First Contact. Yeah. And of course, you know, First Contact sort of negates, uh, again, the, the the family, the the episode family where Picard finally expunges the demons of the, of the Borg rape, but now he's back to the same embittered guy uh, intent to revenge against the Borg uh that he had sort of expunged in family post best of both worlds but again it's a crowd pleaser it's fun um it it is the best of the next generation movies and it's our pick for uh the 80 80th best sci-fi movie of all time which brings us to number 79
0: 79 a good year but that isn't the year that this movie happens in this movie <laughs> happens in 1985 it's uh it's basically um it's it's the aarp of science fiction movies <laughs> um and i say this fully knowing that wilford brimley one of the stars of the film is younger than i am now Me i was too. about to ask Uh, so it's a little it's a little strange to watch this film now Um, it's of course uh, the Ron Howard directed Cocoon
5: from the farthest corner of a distant galaxy and the deepest feelings of the human soul comes a fantasy to fill your heart I feel tremendous I'm ready to take all the world. It is everything you've dreamed of. It is nothing you expect. Oh, I can keep a secret. I wouldn't tell anybody. It's hard to know who to trust. It is the mystery of an awesome secret. It is the miracle of everlasting life. We'll never be sick. We won't get any older and we won't ever die. Beyond the innocence of wisdom of age lies the wonder of cocoon <laughs> 20th century fox presents
4: Pizza! 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 Pizza!
5: the new film from the producers of Jaws and the director of Splash Cocoon
0: uh- which is a really odd little movie. I really like it. I love it. It 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 shouldn't exist. Um, <laughs> the, the great the great uh, the great setup here is that all of these great uh, uh, film actors from the past have been hired to be in this movie, in this in this uh, you know sci-fi movie for kids. And what a great idea that was! And because you, you know we have Donna Michi, who was a huge star in the '40s, uh, Wilfred Brimley, who was a little younger than the
1: rest of them. he was Cronin. in the thing. Give him, give him props. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Him, yeah.
0: Hume Cronin, uh, Jack Guilford, Maureen and his Stades, wife Hume's wife Jessica, Jessica Tandy. Tandy, Gwen Verdon for crying out loud, um, and uh, and the younger kids. Uh, uh, of course, uh, Brian Dennehy, uh, who is absolutely great in this. Great. And Raquel um,
1: Welch's daughter.
0: Tani, Tani Welch. And of course the, uh, you know, the, the king of, uh, of, uh, cinema,
1: Steve Gutenberg. Steve um, Gutenberg. Who by the way is he's the glue that holds this movie together.
0: He's the gluten. He's the glutenberg. Yes. He's the
1: glutenberg <laughs> I prefer gluten free. Thank you.
0: Um, but uh, man, it, and of course uh, Linda Harrison as uh, as uh, Nova, Nova, um, it's so much fun. Basically, Brian Dennehy is an alien
4: well, who yeah. is
0: with his with his uh, uh, with his uh, supermodel uh, crew uh, yeah. are going to rescue uh, a a group of aliens who were left here years ago in a suspended animation in these cocoons at the bottom of the sea and for some reason they uh they decide to take these cocoons and store them in an old folks home swimming pool well I they're forget- moving them they need from storage locker right storage <laughs> compartments um And through uh, the accidental discovery of these things and the pool and its life-giving properties, all these old folks at the old folks' home are starting to feel like they're 20 years old again. Uh, And everything that that... uh, No more
1: Viagra for those dudes.
0: No more. And remember, this was before Viagra. So uh, it was space Viagra. Um, It's it's so much fun. I've never needed it. It, it, it's so much fun watching these actors really have a great time, and uh, they they are they are marvelous. And and Brian Dennehy dealing with them is kind of scary, but kind of he's also kind of wise. And you don't really know where he stands in this whole thing. I think he's frustrated with them. He's uh, he's uh, pissed off that his uh, uh, his mission isn't going very well. Uh, but uh, he's a softie and uh, and uh, yeah, you know, watch the film if you haven't seen it. It's a lot of fun, and there are some great uh, uh, montage sequences with the old folks having a blast uh, after their uh, their swim. It's Rob a beautiful.
1: No, I was just to say it's a beautiful film. I mean it, it. It it is so kind-hearted. Yeah, and it is so good-natured. And it is it is a, a movie that that ultimately when it has a dramatic turn. Uh, it, it, it's a human dramatic turn there. Absolutely. There is a rift between Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy that is really heartbreaking. Yeah. And it, it is a really I mean, the subtlety of this movie and the, the this movie truly has wonder in it. Yeah. Um, when when Tawny Welch reveals herself to Steve Gutenberg. Uh, again, so <laughs> yeah. again, I- ILM does the effects. I mean, ILM's the MVP of all Rick science Will fiction films the in, the, in, in the in the in uh, the '80s. Yep. This has wonderful, wonderful optical uh, visual effects. The again, another Beautiful great I think,
0: realization of the aliens.
1: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and it's such a wonderful film. I don't know in our in our society today if this movie could have ever been made now. Because because the wonder and the respect this film has for people, the aliens, um, it it is such a it's just a kind cast of septuagenarians. No one's greenlighting that movie,
3: no, except for Wilford Brimley, no, who 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 was younger Younger in that movie
1: than we are, and uh, it's actually very funny. It's got some great body vaudevillian humor. Uh, one of the characters says i'm in the mood for love simply because, <laughs> because i have got, got one he, happened, he hasn't had an erection in 20 years i mean you had uh, a it, bone or two blue uh, steel uh, yeah i mean it, the film has th- this is a really this is a movie that is it, it, it will not get made today but i think everybody today needs to see it
3: Agreed. yeah well you know it's interesting you guys both said the same thing that the Everyone needs to see it. But um, first of all, it's it's based on uh, a novel. And there was also a a dreadful sequel called Cocoon, The Return, which uh, it was not on our list, uh, not to give anything away. But there was an article, I don't know, a year or two ago, if you saw it, what happens to movies when they disappear? And Cocoon is an example of that. It went out of print on DVD. It's not available digitally. And it was all about this journalist's quest to find Cocoon. And how impossible it was, even in this universe where we think, with all these streaming channels and um, all this physical media, that it would be everything's available. And something which is relatively recent erased from existence, uh, directed by Ron Howard. Yeah, and recent and a box office success and a box and it could not be found. I mean, try finding unless you go around the corner over there. Yeah, I know, I have it too but try finding True Lies today. Even though it has a television show. Yeah, right? but it's not available on digital. It's not available um, on physical media, except from Spain, or if you can buy an old DVD. So um, well, it's
0: interesting that the, these titles you've mentioned are all Fox. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems to me that Fox is very uh, uh, culpable in a lot of these titles disappearing. And yeah. uh, maybe this is a question for our friend, Steve Absell.
1: Oh yeah, let's put Steve on the spot.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, let's make it his
1: fault, guys. Well, no, it's 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 very interesting because you'd think now that Disney owns Fox, this is a perfect Disney Channel, Disney Plus should have yeah. a 4K remastered version of this film. I mean, my god, Ron Howard initiated Touchstone Films for them after after all. Yeah, with splash. Yeah, absolutely. And and Cocoon is definitely something
3: that is ripe for a reboot. You know, it's such a beloved movie and it's almost like a fairy tale. Fairy Although tale, I think the, uh, the
0: the leader of the uh, old people in the new film would be Jared Leto. So I, I don't think that's a good way to go.
3: <laughs> I thought it was going to be Elizabeth Dennehy, but okay. So um, that brings us to number 78
1: and Rob Burnett. Okay, this, okay. This is a tough one because this film does not get a lot of love. And I have to say that for me, when I first saw this movie in, what, 1991? Something like that. I um, I liked it. Alien 3, David Fincher's first film. Alien is one of the greatest science fiction horror films ever made. Aliens might be one of the greatest sequels ever made. Yep. So there was a lot of expectation of for Alien 3.
4: Was there an alien on board?
5: Yes. There's definitely something in here with us. We have no weapons of any kind. Let's start. It's here!
1: And it didn't live up to anyone's expectation
3: <laughs> because I don't aliens think aliens squared.
1: Yeah. Uh, aliens
3: double as squared. good. It's cubed. 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 Yeah. Cubed, I yes. mean,
1: it was, it was, it, it, it was promised that aliens were going to be on earth or something when they first, I mean, it was, and of course uh, it had a very tortured development process. Vincent Ward famously was going to set it on a planet of wood. Yeah with alien monks and there was going to be alien attacks on a wheat field there's all kinds of crazy stuff this film was stuck in development hell and they actually put it into production before it was finished with a first-time visionary music video director who'd worked on return of the jedi when he was 18 at ilm and <laughs> the movie opens killing some of your favorite characters in the previous film yeah. You're gonna kill Michael Bean. You're gonna kill Newt. All the people that you have worked so hard to, to to keep alive that they're yeah. dead. They died, and somehow, alien. Uh, the 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 the. the <laughs> I, there were aliens crawling all over the the ship. Where apparent? Where did they come from? We don't know. They're implanting chest bursters. It was just craziness. And it's set on the dreariest planet ever. Furine, firene, whatever it was called. Uh, it's, a, it's a planet of convicts that have become space monks. Yeah. And our characters crash land on this planet, bringing aliens with them, which really didn't make any sense at all, but you have to go with it because that's what the plot tells you to do. Now, great actors. Charles Dance, great in it. Sigourney Weaver comes back. Of course and she's let's face it implanted with an alien queen how did that happen we don't know we don't know really doesn't matter however if you watch the version on home video that was released as part of the alien anthology which is more along the lines of what david fincher wanted he had no involvement in this recreation it was pieced together by charlie de Zarica and that team The film has a very Hieronymus Bosch, we're in hell quality to it. And it brings in questions of God and punishment and hell. And maybe we deserve this. And the alien as some kind of a vengeful demon that is going to teach you a lesson. I mean, the religious imagery gets pretty strong At the end, when Sigourney Weaver, depending on which version you watch, she either has uh, an alien queen bursting forth from her as she is in a crucifix, falling into hell, literally a pit of lava. But this movie is a very unpleasant, existential journey into hell. Like the black hole. Like, yes. You know what, Mark? It's true. This (laughs) does have similar qualities to it. Now, I think it's sloppy. I think some of the visual effects are unconvincing. But especially if you watch the extended version, this is a film that has a singular vision to it. It, David Fincher, who has disowned this film, he later went on, it took him another six or five years or whatever to get seven made. Seven was really his first feature. He went on and made everything from the game to fight club but everything david fincher was doing later was in this movie and i i really like this film because it's about horror true existential horror and dread these men have already lost their souls they're evil horrible men they're convicts they have been sent to this godforsaken place where they have no souls, and to add insult to injury, then the alien shows up and will devour all of them. And it, it, it is, I really appreciate the horrible, awful version. I mean, this is a Hieronymus Bosch painting come to life. And this movie is all about what mankind faces when there is no hope. And if there is no redemption.
3: If you're a fan of great British character actors, you're going to love <laughs> all, Alien 3. They're all True. in there.
0: It, it it reminds me of this the, this line uh, somewhat from uh, Monty, Monty Python. Um, well, how do you know he's an alien? Well, he hasn't got shit all over him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all the other characters are covered in muck, basically, during the whole movie and sweat and they look disgusting. And the alien is this beautiful, slickery uh, being. Um, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating to look at. It's
1: not enjoyable, but it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, and again, it's very interesting that you, you have a, a studio like 20th Century Fox. We're, we've now moved into the 90s. Alien has become one of the most beloved science fiction horror thrillers of all time. Aliens, 1986, James Cameron has created one of the greatest sequels of all time. You know, there's Godfather 2, there's The Empire Strikes Back, there's The Road Warrior, and there's Aliens. Everyone loves it. And then a major motion picture studio turns out the exact opposite of entertainment. <laughs> I mean... So, I, no, it, wait,
2: so I'm, I'm going to stop you a little bit because a, like... It, I'm just going to stop you a little bit. So look, to me, I think the way that we have to watch Alien 3 um, is, it is, you almost have to forget that aliens happened, right? Which is difficult to do. And, but in this context, right, because the, the, the original sin in Alien 3 is, as you say, that you begin with Newt and Hicks being dead, right? And they weren't just characters we really liked, because we really liked Hudson too, and he's fucking dead. It's because they were the stakes characters of aliens, right? So we begin in this very bleak place. And it's one of those things
1: where. They cheated it's, us. It's. They've hmm, given, like you said, I've never I paid for this microphone. Before.
2: It's it is stakes
1: characters. I've never heard that before. Oh, okay, but, that's so, but yes, that's amazing. what they
2: were. It's they were the stakes characters. And and it worked in some ways to the advantage of this film because it immediately like gave um you, you immediately understood where Ripley was emotionally, right? It was it was bleak, it was horrifying. She had literally lost everything. She was in the same place as these men. You know, they had been cast uh into hell. Why? Because they all had, you know, an extra like chromosome and like they were all like screwed up. They were all aliens and monsters in their own way. They're all aliens and monsters who had found religion as this one thing that kept them from basically tearing each other apart and going fully primal and crazy and doing the same thing to Ripley. You have Ripley who walks into this. Sure, she's carrying around, you know, a, a, a freaking alien inside of her, spoiler alert but she's already an alien. She is, she is, it's not the alien with the head and the <sighs> that threatens this world. It is Ripley. It is Ripley as the alien that threatens it. It's bleak. It is difficult to watch. It is incredibly well-performed. It's just incredibly well-performed. And I think, you know, particularly as you say, like when you look at that, that extended Edition and you see like the fullness of Fincher's vision for this thing. I I think it is in places astonishingly well written. Yeah. But again, what I, I think it's it's not, it is a it is a movie with a studio budget that is that doesn't have studio film boiling in its blood, right? That's not what it is, and it's not what it wants to be. And you are either on the ride or you're not. And look, a lot of the things you said, I think are, are true about some of the like, so the, some of the, the inconsistencies, um, but ultimately like you, you, you kind of, if you get it right, if you can get past like that initial bleakness, um, if you can like really just sort of lose yourself in what's happening with those performances and like, and just thematically and the tone and just, my God, David Fincher comes out of nowhere and he has that mastery of tone.
1: It Dude, is this an movie,
2: astonishing debut.
1: It is it is one I think it's one of the great horror movies of all time. I agree because the, it is so full of existential dread and and it's unfortunately it's it's a flawed alien movie so nobody sees it for what it is. Right. <laughs> right. Now,
3: look, I I, I think Alien 3 is actually a really good movie. I think the problem is, and it's only gotten better over time, because it's very much what Ashley said. When we saw it in the early 90s, you were so invested. You just spent two and a half hours um, with Hicks saving Newt and Ripley, or Ripley saving Hicks and and Newt, and and then surviving. And and it was such a triumph that all of a sudden – have that rug pulled out from under you at the beginning of three, literally the first frames of it and they're dead, you know, it, it was such a fuck you. And, you know, in retrospect, we all know, you know, Fincher wanted his own version to prevail and wasn't interested in being beholden to Ridley Scott or to James Cameron, you know, or he wanted to be beholden to Ridley Scott, but not James Cameron. There was a lot of ego there. But that said, it is a magnificently lensed and and staged movie it, it's a really intriguing premise it's a
0: great movie it's not a great alien
1: movie yeah exactly right, it's a exactly. great sci-fi yes, movie. that's exactly right thank yeah. you perfect
3: and as rob said on the alien cycle blu-ray uh the 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 the, the movie which is sort of reconstituted under the ages of charlie de lazarica is is a I, I, I would say vast improvement over the theatrical version i mean it's not that different but it just, it just, it's more suspenseful. It's, Sometimes it's, it's, it's the little things. more interesting. It, it, it really is, um, it, it really is terrific. Um, it's certainly the third best of the Alien films, but you compare it to something like Alien 4, which also took the chance on a, a director that was, you know, out there with Caro, um, who had done City of Lost Children and Delicatessen and wanted to do something completely different. And it doesn't work at all. Whereas Alien Three is is really a triumph compared to you know the mess that's Alien Four,
2: or Prometheus. Oh, God, yeah, or Prometheus. <laughs> yes, or Alien Covenant. Yeah, my God, mm. like Alien Three is Covenant. Alien compared to Covenant, Covenant. Covenant. <laughs> right? It's it is Alien compared to those films. No. Uh, those well, in a way, disasters, and and it's it is as you said, Darren. It's a great movie. It's just not a great
3: I, Alien movie. And Lance Haller Haller Marvel, that's showing up. Okay. Lance, when Lance Henriksen shows up, it's great. It's awesome,
2: and like that scene is so upsetting, but cool, and like it's just, oh, it's good.
1: I I just what I love about this film is it really shows you ultimately that the cosmic void will destroy all comers. There is no, there is no escape, and and this movie is so bleak. It's incredible a studio released it. Totally, and Charles Dance is great. Yeah, one
3: hundred
1: percent. Charles
0: Dance is great in everything.
1: Yeah, even the Golden
3: even, Child.
0: Even the Golden Child. I was just gonna say that
1: <laughs> he's so good in the Golden uh-huh. Child. And Charles
2: uh-huh. Dutton is awesome.
1: Charles, Charles Dutton rules in this. Movie.
3: Anybody
2: named Charles is great in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Charles in Charge. That's what yeah, it should he's been. great. Aliens yeah, Charles in Charge. Okay, well, that's it. that's that must be interesting for our audience. 78, you just heard it here. And you know what? I think Pete Potwistle is in this movie. (laughs) Yes, he is. (laughs) (laughs) That's hysterical, but not Jessica Puttermaker. No. Okay. (laughs) Um, Number 77. We're back to Darren Dockman.
0: Well, you know, the 70s had no end to movies that made you feel really bad about the future. (laughs)
4: <laughs> and really
0: guilty about everything that mankind was doing and it's all our fault and we deserve this horrible hell that we will be living in a few short years if only they knew uh how things would work out um this movie uh, came out in 1973 and uh it is uh Charlton Heston in a role that will surprise you uh, Soylent Green
5: New York City 50 years from today Nothing runs Nothing works
4: They gave me a quarter of a kilo
5: But people are the same And people will do anything To get what they need What they need most Is Soylent Green Simonson board of directors of the Soylent Corporation murdered because he discovered the secret of Soylent Green. Detective Thorne, he's got to find out what Simonson knew. Ah! Saul Roth, Thorne's researcher. Courtesy of your next assignment, William R. Simonson, Chelsea Towers West. When, how'd you get all these? Cheryl, the furniture. Is that Simonson? Is that a yes nod or a no nod? Yes. Hatcher, police captain. Simonson. Supposed to look like he was killed when he caught some punk burglarizing his apartment. What do you say? It was an assassination. Ah! Tab Fielding bodyguard. Why would you leave that door open? Uh, uh, Why did you set up Simonson? Charlton Heston, Edward G. Robinson, Lee Taylor Young, Chuck Connors. Fight for survival and solve the most bizarre riddle ever to face mankind. Why does Soylent Green mean life?
1: You must
4: disperse. The sculpture
5: on their way. Why does Soylent Green mean death?
4: Now,
0: this takes place in a, uh, a nightmarish future where uh, the power of big corporations is uh, unquestioned And uh, population is exploding. Uh, There's no more room on Earth, apparently.
1: I just want Uh, to point out, Darren, this movie takes place in 2022.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just saying. So we got a couple more months.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got my Impossible Burgers and my Beyond Burgers ready.
0: Well, just (laughs) wait how impossible these burgers are um, Mm -hmm. when you have your next door neighbors in them because... The, it is the year 2022, and, you know, spoiler ahead, in case you haven't seen it, which you probably haven't. Um, Soylent Green is people.
3: Yeah, but even if they haven't seen it, they've seen the Saturday Night Live of skit. Of course,
0: of course. Well, see, those, the Saturday Night Live skit is really old, too, Mark, so they probably haven't seen that either. Um, so funny. Yeah. Uh, the, the corporations have come up with this great idea to feed the masses the masses um, and uh, there you know there's a famous scene of a of a big uh, a big scooping truck picking up people and uh, dumping them into a uh, processor and it's uh, it's the feel good movie of 73 let me tell you um and uh there's a sort of a forced uh, euthanasia and uh everyone uh, you know not quite as bad as uh, logan's run uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's really, it's really interesting. It's an interesting look at, at this, uh, at this nightmarish future. Um, and it's, it's uh, really depressing.
3: Yep. <laughs> yes, it and, is. Uh,
0: and we, we live through this uh, hell uh, alongside uh, Charlton Heston, who plays a, uh, uh, a policeman who uh, finds out the secret that's going on, this big secret. Uh, and it's uh, directed by Richard Fleischer, who uh, uh, was uh, the son of uh, one of the uh, animators that was battling Disney in the uh, '40s, uh, and uh, it's really quite interesting how they how they portray this future because it's not necessarily convincing. Uh, they they have a lot of backlot shooting that. Uh, yeah is dressed uh, sort of uh, wacky and uh, crazy and futury, and then there's these uh, uh, for for uh, for a society that is so jam packed with people the interiors are pretty opulent and big i have to say so it's a, it's a fascinating you know and it's it's more famous because of you know the the performance by heston uh because he's completely over the top in this movie and is uh, is you know there's no scenery that's safe from him in this one uh so it's uh i, I think i think you can find it on streaming somewhere i'm yeah, pretty sure you can uh it's not one of those that have disappeared yet like cocoon like cocoon but it's, you know
1: richard ahead, fleischer right. did direct Twenty Thousand leagues out of the sea
0: Absolutely,
1: and and he was a, he's an incredible director, and one of the things that strikes me whenever I watch this movie, and I do have the Blu-ray, uh, is how contemporary it actually feels. You know, it opens with this weird, like, photographic montage of how the world went to hell. Mm-hmm. You know, and and Fred Myro, who wrote the score for this movie, actually scored Phantasm, which is co-scored Phantasm, which is a a favorite film of mine. But I mean. Uh, if you are somebody who considers yourself a progressive, when women are called furniture in this movie, you might lose your mind. Yeah. So maybe there should be a trigger warning if you ever this want. This whole to watch movie one is a trigger warning. warning. This this film is is so triggering on so many levels. This whole but, court's out of order. But you know what I find interesting about about this film is I find about most seventies dystopian. Cinema, which most of it is. I mean, yeah. mo- until Star Wars came out from 1970, from Colossus the Forbidden Project, all the Demon Seed in '76, yeah. Rollerball, which we're going to talk about soon, Planet of the Apes, Planet of the Apes. I mean, yeah. we we were effed like humanity, yep. and th- there was a melancholy about all of these films, and there was a sadness to all of them, and they all ended in the bleakest way possible like yeah. like we're done we're cooked yeah. stick a fork in it well and yeah oh, speaking, sorry, of ble-
0: sorry flower power it doesn't work
3: speaking of 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 bleak
1: movies rob why don't you tell us number 76 well okay number 76 now first of all again i'm all about literary sci-fi the next movie is de- is derived from a michael Crichton novel the man who gave us jurassic park the man who gave us er the man who gave us hey the great train robbery and the original west world wrote a novel in 1969 called the andromeda strain
0: now don't be scared i'm a doctor where am
5: i a special laboratory in nevada we brought you here you're sick In a true biological crisis, which our exploration of space could bring about, the present lunar receiving laboratory might prove inadequate. I therefore urge the establishment of a facility to deal specifically with an extraterrestrial form of life. Seems to me, General, Dr. Stone put one over on you. In fact, he made us all think his wildfire lab could handle any contamination from outer space. Isolate and identify. Good God. It's no accident. I suspect they were looking for the ultimate biological weapon. You could change everything.
3: It's crazy. I didn't know buzzards fly at night. Buzzards only come when something's dead. Bendel,
0: no Deckard to cable One, what's happening? We see bodies. Lots of them. These people were cut down in
5: mid-stride. Everybody's dead! No! You did it! I recommend calling a wildfire alert. All members of your team have been cleared and are now being called in. If things get out of control, even you can't work miracles. Grandpa, there's a car and they got guns. What's going on? This communication is being monitored.
4: Never believe this could really happen.
5: You knew Stone. You knew it! The only important thing now is to find the antidote, even with a microscope. That line. I'm turning off the
1: oxygen. Experiment with your own life, damn it! I'm scared. Oh Lord, I'm scared. The Andromeda Strain is a story about a group of scientists who recover a satellite in a small town that has a, a virus of extraterrestrial origin, and I have to say. This movie freaking terrified me the first time I saw it. I saw it on television. The opening 20 minutes or 10 minutes of this film where they actually find a town where everyone is dead. By the way, as a note, they do a riff on this on the first episode of The Six Million Dollar Man that also scared the hell out of me. But so in this film, an extraterrestrial virus has fallen to Earth, and luckily... (laughs) scientists in the American government foresaw something like this happening. And they had created an underground laboratory in case something like this would happen. And they, I think it's called project wildfire in, in, in the film. And these scientists uh, who, by the way, in a very star Trek and conceit, they're all really good at their jobs And you get to see how the government uh, gets them like like building the team. And this film is is unbelievably compelling. It is, of course, directed by the great Robert Wise, who directed Star Trek, the motion picture, West Side Story. He edited Citizen Kane. I mean, this film to me is one of the first epic science fiction films of the modern age. It also is terrifyingly plausible. And uh truly scary. this movie has an existential dread in it that if this virus gets out, uh, we're all dead, humanity we have we have no there nothing will save us because it's from a an extraterrestrial source and and the villain in this movie is faceless, remorseless. It isn't a character, it's just nature.
0: The great and, thing, the great thing about it is that, it sets up all this uh, super high technology. And it, at the back of our minds, we know it may not work. Right. There's nothing we can do to stop it if it, if it gets out.
1: And, and you know what? What I love about this film is everyone is really good at their jobs. Yeah. It introduces us, like Star Trek, to the best of the best. Yep. Yep. There are no there are no mediocre people. These are the people that are at the highest levels of their profession. And it says to me like that's where we need to go. And this sounds
0: awfully shallow but there are absolutely no pretty faces in this movie.
1: Well, you know Arthur Hill. No, you handsome. know what I mean. I know. No, if, these are
0: people if, that these are the, people that are
1: cast like real people. This is peak verisimilitude. This film has a documentary authenticity to it that really works. And the music, the score for this film, I mean, it's, even the music is terrifying and it's done like a docudrama. I swear to God, you watch this movie, you think, wait, did this happen? Was this real? It's terrifying. And, and it is, you know, Michael Crichton, who is a doctor, he was the perfect guy to write this kind of thing and this could happen even now. I still have nightmares about this movie because one day now more than ever living in a COVID environment where we're, we're, we're going through a global pandemic. Austria is locking down again. Germany has more cases spiking ever. We are living in a world that, that, that is, this the has world already that happened. It's ha yes. Yes. And, and even the, the visual effects in this film are not ostentatious, but, when they show the virus multiplying
4: yeah,
3: it's
1: terrifying yep. it is so scary I love yep. this
3: movie Darren stop buzzing around tell us what number 75 is
0: number 75 is probably one of the scariest early movies that I ever saw <laughs> it is uh, 1958's The
2: Fly
5: will everyone in the theater hold on family to his seat please
4: Stop it! Stop it!
5: I'm Vincent Price. What unearthly horror did that girl gaze upon? What manner of incredible thing walked beneath that hood? It would be unfair at this time to show you any more of what went on in that laboratory where a man actually dared to play God. So fantastic, words can't begin to describe it. You must see it with your own eyes to believe it when the fly comes your way. It isn't like any other fly I've ever seen. No! 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 Please let me look at the fly! I've killed Andre. Please help me. Call the police and... The charge can only be murder. There were no mistresses. I had no lovers. Why did you kill him?
4: God, don't let it get out.
5: Inspector, Inspector, it's in the garden. Come quickly. As God is my witness, I saw the thing. It's unbelievable. I shall never forget that scream as long as I live. <coughs> the fly's on its way. Watch out for it. It's far beyond anything your mind could ever conceive.
0: Um, And uh, most of you probably have seen the remake that was later on, but this is 1958 and it, it treats the subject, uh, a little bit differently. Um, it's not a, a psychological thriller about uh, losing humanity. It's about a guy who gets a fly's head and hand uh, switched on to him. And how do you deal with that? Do you deal with that? Um, how do you maintain a, a healthy marriage when that happens? When you've got um, a
3: fly hand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, really, it's really weird. Um, uh, David Hedison plays the uh, the uh, scientist, uh, Andre <laughs> Delambre, which is an odd name, um, uh, but uh, and uh, Vincent Price plays his brother, who uh, comes in later on. Um, it's very strange because it's a it's a really sad story about how this guy accidentally got. Crisscrossed with a fly in a in his uh, garage transporter that he built, um, and uh, it's it's very creepy. I mean, the 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 reveal of the fly head at one point. I mean, his his wife is uh, you know she knows something's going on. He's working in his uh, in his laboratory all the time, and uh, he has this this uh, black cloth over his head and over his uh, arm, and. Uh, you know she's bringing him lunch, and and uh, she she wants to see what's going on underneath the thing, but he's not telling her, and he's not talking much. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, the the reveal of the fly head is so freaking scary, because you don't really expect it to be. Oh, it's a fly head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's hilarious and and, and scary and uh, and uh, really creepy, but perhaps the most famous part. Of this movie is the ending, where the the human uh, fly, the the other half of the transference, the fly with a human head and arm, um, gets caught in a spider web, and it's the scariest freaking thing you've <laughs> ever seen and heard.
2: The and freaks.
0: I had I had nightmares forever after seeing it on the four thirty movie. Um, it's horrific and actually way scarier than the, uh, than the Cronenberg version later on.
3: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great film. It's a memorable film. That ending is like straight out of a great twilight zone episode. Yep. And uh, now I have just one word for Rob Burnett as we turn our attention to number 74, that word multi-pass.
1: <laughs> well, this is a very interesting film. Uh, It was a financial success and it won categories in the British Academy Film Awards, the Cesar Awards, the Cannes Film Festival and the Lumiere Awards. But it also received Golden Raspberry Awards and Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. Uh, I love this film. It came out on May 7th, 1997. It is Luc Besson's French Phantasmagoria the fifth element
5: every 5,000 years remove the shield when the three planets are in eclipse the black hole like a door is open evil comes spreading terror and chaos there's nothing that can stop this there is only one thing perfect the Chi-1 have in their possession the only weapon to defeat evil. Four elements gathered around a
4: fifth.
3: I'm up Welcome on
5: Happy Night's Day. Major Dallas, selected for a mission of the utmost importance. What oh, mission? Save the world. <laughs> <laughs> Is that uh, thing solid? Unbreakable. Good. Where are the stones? No. I don't know. And even if I did know, I wouldn't tell somebody like you.
1: That asks one question: Are you green? Uh, <laughs> let me just tell you, I, I don't think I've, ever, I, I don't think I've ever seen a film that is more uniquely a science fiction film that is more uniquely from one country than yeah. this movie is. It is so French. From Luc Besson, who had made his, one of his first his first feature, actually was a great science fiction film called *Le Dernier Combat* he had made subway he had made leon the professional he had made la femme nikita and now he steps into a heavy metal metal hurlant, a phantasmagoria of so many different science fiction concepts we'd seen in previous movies it, it, it imagine if blade runner uh the city the los angeles in blade runner the sun was shining all the time yeah uh that's what this movie would be. Everybody, instead of being depressed with umbrellas, they were all happy and wore, wore lots of color. I mean, that's what this film would be. And it deals with the source of life and religious belief and evil in the universe and hot chicks in Lycra and opera singers with tentacles on their heads and, and, and cruise ships at a place called Floston Paradise. I mean, this film... it's more heavy metal than heavy metal. It it is more heavy metal than heavy metal. That is exactly right. But really, it's the story of a cop. uh, Kind of. uh, Who's on the verge of being a disgraced cop, of course, played by Bruce Willis. But
0: he's not a cop. He's a taxi driver.
1: Well, he's been, he's disgraced. So that's, He's a disgraced taxi driver. He's a disgraced (laughs) ex-military, whatever he is. (laughs) You know, he's he's eking out a meager existence, driving his cab. Living life as a meat popsicle. Uh, yes, and he winds up helping the supreme being in the universe, the fifth element, Mila Jovovich, and um, and and the great evil in the universe is coming after this uh, this character because once you get rid of the fifth element, you can evil can sweep over the universe. Sonny Liston, the great late Sonny Liston, plays the president of the galaxy in this. That's movie. not Sonny Liston it's not tiny lister it's tiny don't, don't lister. I tiny, tiny lister, sunny lister. I meant tiny lister, sunny lister. i'm sorry happy. i apologize that's all right it's tiny Lister. Fun. yes sunny lister what am i saying <laughs> jesus <laughs> i can't know everything but what? uh th- this film this film i mean luke perry is in the opening of this yeah. movie. I mean, all the way from it, it, Beverly Hills 902. No matter what
0: you think, no matter what you think about the movie as a whole, the opening 10 minutes are the best cinematic science fiction ever put on film. It is
1: this this whole movie is absolutely beautiful. The design work, uh it, 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 it is just gorgeous to look at. The sound design, the music, uh, the crazy characters. Luke Basson, he he weaves in his company of characters, the actors that he works with. I mean, this film is insane. It's absolutely insane. And I'll tell you one thing: it is never boring. It is so much fun to watch. I mean, when Chris Tucker shows up as some Rudy Rod, the 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 the, 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 the whatever he is, the the the. <laughs> the 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 YouTube star of the the future
0: yeah yeah
1: i mean he's he's like the instagram hero of the future i mean craziness uh i love this movie he is uh uh, this film's an amazing film it looks incredible on the big screen and uh i'll tell you not all science fiction has to be like say oh i don't know alien three this is about as far away from that as you can get well i love this movie yeah, I'll tell you this, it's no Valerian.
3: It's way better than that. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, it's Sunny Liston, said Tiny Lister.
3: Fifth, Fifth yeah. element. It's fun. Yeah. Sonny Chiba. Sonny <laughs> Chiba. <laughs> fun, fun, fun movie. It's very French. It's a, you know, and 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 uh, there's some great moments in it. I remember we went to Luc Besson's.
1: How you got to You got to tell tell that story of how. So let me just set you up, Mark. So Mark Altman and Chris Gore created a great magazine called Sci-Fi Universe. That was the the science fiction magazine in the mid 90s. And Mark, you you had a a conundrum. Would Independence Day or the Fifth Element be on the cover of Sci-Fi Universe? We can't see you. Oh, I can't see you. No, ah, right. whatever. You can't. whatever. So, I was so
3: Mark, holding up sci-fi universe, whatever. And
1: and you were being heavily, heavily courted.
3: Luke Basson really wanted the cover, did he not? He really wanted the cover. That's right. So, but we weren't going to put it on the cover knowing nothing about it. So uh, he auditioned for us. We went to his house in Malibu, Malibu, and he he on his Avid, he played us a bunch of scenes from The Fifth Element to convince us that it was worth putting on the cover.
1: And do you remember the? the behind the scenes footage he showed us what it was cut to. What song it was cut to?
3: Oh, wasn't it Prince's sexy motherfucker?
1: No, it was Prince's pussy control. Oh, that's right. (laughs) That's right. And he did tell us one of the funniest things I've ever heard anyone say. He said to us that he wanted to get a house in Malibu because he thought like there were going to be all the beautiful girls at the beach. But then he got this house that was in an exclusive part of Malibu, and there was no girls on the beach because they couldn't get there, because yeah. it was an exclusive part. Even you great- wonder why he's in trouble now.
3: With- <laughs> 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 oh God, yeah. But that was a fun. And in fact, I think we even went to the the mix at Tadeo, if I remember.
1: Yeah, I think
3: um, so for for Fifth Element. But he, yeah, he was he was really anxious to have us uh, cover the movie and, and, it, and it's it, look, it's a very fun, it Shared
1: the cover. It's
3: it, it, yes. And it's a, it, it's a very unique vision. And uh, I'm not as enamored with the Chris Tucker stuff as you are, but um, the world that he creates um, uh, that, that his own sort of, imp- you know, vision of a blade
1: runner like world uh, was, was, uh, was a lot of fun. And Gary Oldman gave it his all. Uh, You know, is the crazy arms dealer that's in cahoots with the great universal evil. There are great alien characters in this. There's space clerics. I mean, there's this this movie leaves no stone unturned. And uh, Mila Jovovich is uh,
3: luminous. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to have her
1: multi-pass.
2: Hey.
3: Moving right along, or you're going to end up just where Luke Besson is right now. Okay, um, number 73 brings us back to Darren Dockerman. And Darren was telling you the 70s with the death of flower power in Woodstock, but Joan Baez might have something to say about that.
0: Well, this is sort of the last gasp of uh, flower power in Woodstock. Uh, in 1972's Silent Running,
5: Space convoy on a strange voyage carrying a rare cargo. The forests, the plants, the growing things doomed to extinction on Earth. We have just received orders to abandon and nuclear destruct all the forests. And return our ships to commercial service. And we're going home! You can't blow up this forest. Silent running. Cataclysm in outer space Every moment bringing its own danger As man explores the mysteries of an unknown and limitless universe Valley Forge, Valley Forge, what the hell's wrong? You're moving out, you're accelerating I've got a premature detonation
0: on dome number two And I've got an explosion in the main cargo deck Now please advise me immediately
5: Give me Barker
4: I can't
0: find Barker, I can't find Wolf and Keenan either I'm afraid, Neil, that they might have been in dome number two
5: 10 number one. Meet the almost human drones, amazing companions on a journey beyond the stars. (laughs) The man has a full house and he knew it. (laughs) Now, how about that? Hear Joan Baez sing Rejoice in the Sun and Silent Running. If you continue as is, we figure you'll hit the northeastern quadrant of outer ring tomorrow morning.
0: Um, it's the heartwarming story of an attempt to save. Uh, some forests from the earth, which has apparently been completely deforested uh, for some reason. I don't know what the reason is, um, but uh, obviously it's some big corporate thing, even though the uh, the spaceship that uh, Bruce Dern is on is uh, sponsored by American Airlines. So, uh, you know, it, it's a little, little mixed, uh, mixed messages going on there. Um, but uh, in the, in the uh, late 60s and early 70s, uh, studios didn't really know what they were doing. They were trying to, they were trying to uh, get the energy of younger filmmakers to come in and uh, 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 give, lend their voice and see if their movies would uh, do as well as uh, Easy Rider. Um, and so Universal specifically did a great experiment of hiring, I think, five young directors for really cheap uh, including uh, uh, George Lucas, and uh, I think uh, it, you know it's all the all the uh, all the names that you remember from the uh, from Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, um, but also Doug Trumbull, who was fresh off of working on Stanley Kubrick's 2001, uh, as being a jack of all trades. And uh, uh, Doug wanted to be a director, so he uh, was chosen among uh, many. Uh, to do his project, which was Silent Running, which was the story of Bruce Dern, who was a, uh, a hapless spaceman living on a, uh, uh, basically a, uh, an orbital uh, terrarium uh, that had uh, domes of, uh, you know, all the uh, species of uh, plants and trees and uh, all the representative uh, flora from the Earth that was uh being preserved in, in order to replant someday. Um, and things go bad because, uh, the budget runs out and, uh, he's basically ordered to, uh, jettison everything.
2: I thought you meant the movie.
0: <laughs> well, that too, they, they were working on a shoestring budget. I think it was, uh, something like, was it 700,000? Maybe, maybe it was even less. I'm not sure. Um, all I know is that, uh, Uh, Trumbull and his production team took over a an aircraft carrier and used it as not only their housing but all their sets all their uh, uh, production offices and they (laughs) it was really sort of uh, this odd uh, uh, guerrilla filmmaking uh, experiment um, to make the best use of the uh, of the budget that they could and of course uh Trumbull uh, did his usual mastery with uh, creating visual effects that would uh, flesh out the movie and uh, some very uh, cheap but effective methods of uh, of portraying the uh, uh, the spaceships and um, it's really it boils down to being a a touching character study of the Bruce dern character mm. and his relationship not only with his uh, his uh, goofball bro uh, uh, shipmates uh, but the uh, the robots the drones that uh, work on the ship alongside him and he gets along better with the drones than he does with the other humans on the ship
1: uh,
3: America loves robots and also Dewey, Dewey the, the, and Louie
1: yeah you had real paraplegics in the drones you know performing them yeah well, uh, was right
0: I don't know if paraplegics is the right word they were multi uh, 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 they, they all had the uh, uh, loss of limbs. And so yes. they were very uh, right. compact to fit into these uh, drone costumes yeah. and they yeah. custom built them for them. Um, but it's, it's really a, a, a very clever and, uh, uh obviously Lucas, George Lucas himself, uh, said that it was the drones in this movie that inspired R2-D2 certainly. Um, and, but it, as a, as a bit of pure science fiction, there's kind of no beating Silent Running because it is an absolute, uh, it, it's a it's sort of a dreary science fiction idea of, uh, it's not apocalyptic, but it's just borderline apocalyptic uh, because this is sort of the last garden of the earth out in space. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's Bruce Stern's character's job to try and protect it as best he can.
3: Great. And that was number 73, Silent Running. And that brings us to number 72. And we're back to Robert Meyer Burnett.
1: What's, uh, okay. Um, boy, this film becomes more prophetic as the years go on. I mean, this is 1975's Rollerball, directed by Norman Jewison, that stars James Kahn and John Houseman.
5: E, that's the name. History bears come and go, but the champion plays on. You know how the game serves us. It has a definite social purpose. Nations are bankrupt, gone. No poverty, no sickness. Man has accomplished what he'd always craved. Corporate society was an inevitable destiny for good luck, a centuries-old dream.
4: You better do as you told, Jonathan. That's all I have to say.
5: Don't be here when I come back.
4: You won't be back, Johnny.
5: No player is greater than the game itself. It's not a game a man is supposed to grow strong in, Jonathan.
4: I still don't understand why I came here. You're the only person I ever wanted. Wanted you on my side, that's all.
5: The books you've ordered are classified and have been transcribed and summarized. Well, who summarizes them? Zero, of course. He's the world's brain. Does it answer you? Well, it speaks. Mm-hmm. I'd like... Uh... I'd like uh, some information about corporate decisions, uh, how they're made and who makes them. They're afraid of you, Jonathan. All the way to the top, they are. The game was created to demonstrate the futility of individuals. Let the
4: game do its
5: work. Game! This wasn't meant to be a game!
1: What's really interesting about this film is it's set in a relatively distant future, not thousands of years, but, you know, maybe a hundred years in the future. Um, I remember the, the I had the poster on my wall. Uh, in the future, wars will no longer exist, but there will be rollerball. Mm-hmm. This movie is set in a world where corporations have taken over the world. Nation states are gone and and everyone is beholden to corporations. And in order to placate the human population, they have blood sport. They have gladiatorial combat in in, in the form of rollerball, which is a game where there are men on roller skates fighting on a track, a circular track, and there's motorcycles. And it's kind of a combination of, of motocross, football, and roller derby. And in... In and this,
0: dancing
1: it, with the stars and, and dancing with <laughs> the stars sure and 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 each corporation they have their own teams and it's very nationalistic and it's broadcast and the story focuses on james con character james con's character one jonathan e who is the greatest rollerball player and in this future uh, he was in love with his wife maud adams but a corporate uh, executive saw maud adams and wanted her and that trump's love and a corporate executive just took James Conn's wife and he is. Unfortunately, Pamela Helmsley is waiting in the wings. <laughs> yeah. Princess Ardala. And, Princess Ardala, from from Dallas- <laughs> Ardala. And, and and even the rollerball players are given. I mean, this the, the society is very stratified in terms of who gets what. And but it is kind of a nightmarish vision. It's become much more uh, at first. I think a lot of people didn't get it. It was shot in Europe. A lot of it was shot in Germany. So there's a lot of really interesting. They use real practical locations for futuristic locations, and they built this great rollerball set. And what ends up happening is that Jonathan E. gets more and more popular. Well, the whole point is that rollerball was the great equalizer. No one gets popular. The game will eventually kill everybody. And as Jonathan E. gets more and more popular, the the masses suddenly have a hero. And at the same time, he's trying to figure out how can I get my wife back? I just want my wife back. And and uh, the corporations decide we have to destroy this guy. So they change the rules. They make the game go longer and it gets to the point where there are no rules and they have to destroy James Caan because his popularity, his heroism uh, threatens the power structure. And it is a very interesting look. I mean, obviously, as a kid, I loved it when I first saw it. We actually played rollerball in my neighborhood. We got in trouble because kids were on, we, we were we were we played in a cul-de-sac. We had one mailbox. We'd stuff the ball in and people got hurt. We bashed each other in the face and parents were really pissed. But it, it, it's a very interesting look at corporate culture. And what does it mean to be hu- a human and where is love in this in this corporate future? And while on one hand, visually, it's very dated, the ideas of all of this, where you basically have the everyman, even though he's a hero in the games, he's very much a blue collar character. And John Houseman plays a captain of industry, a man who is beyond reproach. And you see that Jonathan Houseman has emboldened James Collins character and in doing so has created the thing that he most fears, which is somebody that will give the masses hope that threatens the corporate structure. And if you look at Rollerball, it, <laughs> it means more now than it did back then we're living it. We're here. That said, I, I think that yes, I
2: mean, all of that stuff is true, but, but there's some nuance. this thing right like number one yeah like one of the 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 things that's interesting about his relationship with his ex-wife is that he goes through them um wives are rewards for the players they don't Mm -hmm. really connect he doesn't really have a connection with her but there is a woman who once long ago he had a connection with that is the woman he wants to be reunited with right and it, it, when that eventually does happen, she gives zero shits That's about right. him, right? This this movie isn't just about like, because because look, you could if you want to look at it as well, allegory, she knows how
1: right? to play the game,
2: he totally knows how to play
1: the game. They, he he they, He's they a romantic. He's a romantic.
2: But the the theme of the movie isn't, I don't think it's about corporations. I think it is about connections, right? It is, it is about, you know, we socially like what we want out of our heroes and out of our entertainment. Like it's not the computer, right? It's not zero that's tearing down Jonathan E. It's really metaphorically, it's us, right? We want to see him torn down, right? We're the ones who create the blood sport, right? We're the ones who kind of create like this sort of scheme where it's, you know, impossible to have a, a legitimate connection with somebody. And it's just fascinating to me like that, the, that the violence, as the violence escalates his need, right. For just that simple human connection the simple, simple feeling,
1: simple but feeling he, zero. But he also has a connection with his, his
2: motivation.
1: He has right. also not just his wife. He has a connection with his friend, moon pie, right i mean he he's a man that he still believes like he's good at at what he does he's surrounded by kids who aren't who
2: don't respect it there's that amazing scene where it's like he's basically got everything worked out in his head like the timing on everything just watching the ball watching like the motorcycles they try to kill him and they fucking fail because he's timed it all out but the kids who are new to the team don't get it it's and they don't have respect for kind of what he's brought to it. There's just, there is so much going on in this movie, by the way, it's also a literary adaptation. Um, it's based yes. on a, uh, on a short story called the Rollerball Murders, which is actually quite good, quite
1: interesting. Um, but he's and, also uh, like the one human being he's got a soul. Yeah, true. You yes. know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great movie and it's, it, it's, it's really great. And, and you know what? It, 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 I was surprised I've watched. This is the one movie I've watched throughout my life over the last 40, 45 years. This movie has never dated for me. It always works, even though it looks like it doesn't take place in our universe. Norman Jewison did a great
3: job directing the
1: movie, and he's not a genre director. He's a drama
3: director. And that's why this movie works so well. He doesn't treat it like genre.
1: And it has I have to say that it has a great uh, Andre Previn score mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, it, which is it, there's a lot of classical music Takata and few, you know, ta-na-na, but he also has some really weird, like bizarre f- future jazz compositions in this score. This is a great film. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. And that's why I'm so
3: surprised that the Chris Klein, Rebecca Romaine version is number 71 on our list.
1: Now, by the way, I've never seen a more tone deaf adaptation coming from John McTiernan. I can't believe it's a film that doesn't even understand anything about its predecessor.
2: Right. It is. It is literally a film that Rollerball was on some level parodying. Yeah. Right. It is like it's it is the complete inversion of what it's supposed to be. It's like it is the it is the complete corruption It's almost in some ways. Ironically, almost a third act to the original Rollerball, right? It's like, this is what Zero would want Rollerball to be,
1: which is fascinating. But But I also have to say that, that again, like so many of these movies, this film is, 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 there's such melancholy in this film. And if you watch movies like Silent Running and you watch movies like Rollerball, they're different films, but they have the same kind of melancholy. Which is strange. Very, and again, this is another
3: 70s movie that has that kind of dark, nihilistic quality that seems to typify so many of these movies we look at throughout the 70s. So that brings us to a movie that is nothing at all dark or nihilistic about it. Uh, And of course, I'm uh, talking about number 71. Lars von Trier's *Nymphomaniac*.
2: Let's talk about it. <laughs> Part one. <laughs> Part Mel- one. Melancholia. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but um, for real? No. <laughs> some people. There are those be. who believe. Uh, some people say that uh, our entry at number seventy-one is uh, is one of the best Star Trek movies. Ever made now? I think people uh, in this group would actually disagree with yeah, that assessment. It's a flippant response. Not. It's fun to think about, but uh, exactly. It's, but it's 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 a very glib way of talking about. It, but 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 it's out there, right? Because ultimately, what this movie is about, this is number seventy-one, is an homage to the thing that gives this podcast life, right? It is about Star Trek. It is about Star Trek. It's about fandom. It is about the actors. Um, becoming confused with their characters. It is about the very complicated relationship between pop culture, um, the people who produce it, the people who participate in it and the people who consume it. And ironically, it is also about what pop culture at its very best can mean in a very positive way to those consumers. I am referring to Galaxy Quest.
5: In the far reaches of the galaxy, a civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up, never surrender. You will save us! What they got... Never give up and never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? (laughs) Okie dokie. And they're about to put on a command performance 8 million light years away.
1: We are actors, not astronauts. You are
5: our protectors. That was a hell of a thing. Now, Laredo, take us out. You gotta move to the right.
1: Would you sit your, your ass out? down? You wanna drive this to
5: acting like heroes? <laughs> the whole thing was oh. just a misunderstanding. Stanley. May not be enough.
4: They look like little children. Hi, little guy. <sighs>
5: Not bad. DreamWorks Pictures presents Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Galaxy Quest. You're just gonna have to kill it.
1: we'll go for the mouth! The throw! His vulnerable spots! It's a
3: rocket! It doesn't have any vulnerable spots! <laughs>
2: The plot of Galaxy Quest is quite the movie or the TV show. The the well, you know, our abandoned television remake. Um, uh, referring to the movie, of course, of uh, of of Galaxy Quest. And, and the look, the plot is dirt simple. Um, the uh, the 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 cast of a very popular uh, science fiction television show called Galaxy Quest essentially gets kidnapped by aliens who received all the transmissions of all of their episodes. Uh, believed that the stories that they were consuming were true and decided that the uh that this crew were actually their characters and were capable of saving us uh from the aliens who, who threatened them thank you thank you very much uh they provide them with a ship uh you know they provide them with the uniforms they provide them with everything except the personalities of the characters that they're supposed to be playing, but they are personalities that these characters grow into, right? It's the the arcs of everyone from uh, you know uh, Tim Allen, uh, you know to freaking uh, uh, oh my god, like why the hell Alan Rickman, Sigourney Weaver, they all come to appreciate their characters and their value and what they mean. It is by turns. Um, very funny, darkly and kind of lightly funny. Um, you know, Sam Rockwell is awesome in it, playing Guy. I don't have a last name. What's my last name? Uh, to very touching. Um, and the thing that like that I, I hold like in my heart from this movie um, is just how strongly the aliens believe in our heroes. Mm. Um, What those heroes mean to them, how much it hurts when they find out that their heroes are not what they're cracked up to be, and then how it uplifts them when they see their heroes become their heroes Mm -hmm. uh, right before their eyes. Um, It's just it's a lovely film. It's entertaining. It's uh, it's just terrific. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not a Star Trek film, but it's a it's a love letter. And but it could have been.
3: It could have been. Yeah, it's, it, it's a delightful confection that we all enjoy, and uh, it, it's a funny musing on the Star Trek phenomena. And um, I think you know a lot of people when they talk about the great sci-fi comedies, they looked at Spaceballs, which I don't think is particularly good. Um, Me neither. And uh, Galaxy Quest is terrific.
4: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's heartfelt. It's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings us to the last film of today's episode as we continue our Sci-Fi 101 lecture tour. (laughs) And that film reminds us all that... Love, true of will bring us together. No, not at all. What it okay. does remind us is, life here began out there oh, with tribes yeah. so of humans the who universe. may have been the forefathers of but
0: the Egyptians,
3: or the Mayans, or the, the Toltecs, or the, or the, or the, or the, or the Mayans. Mayans, or the Incas, or Incas. any. <laughs> Indeed. There are, may yet be tribes of humans who, even now, fight to survive somewhere amongst the heavens beyond. Right, Mark, you wrote the book, but you can't remember the words. I wrote the book, but I can't <laughs> remember the narration because, yeah, I think we started recording this podcast in 1978. Right. Okay, <laughs> this so, episode, uh, in fact, the movie, of course, is Battlestar Galactica, and some of you may be surprised to find. Um, the movie on our list of what 101 greatest sci-fi well, movies a TV of all time. Show. It's a well, TV fr- show. Why? But uh, as many of you uh, uh, may not realize, Battlestar Galactica was released in theaters after its TV premiere uh, as a theatrical film. It also premiered theatrically in Canada. But more importantly, it was in around Right. It was in Censor Round. And uh, <laughs> so that makes it a movie because it was in Censor Round. Because that great late...
0: The Cylons didn't have
3: a plan. <laughs> they didn't have a plan. Clearly, they did not have a plan. But they, but learned. you know, here's the thing about Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, the science is goofy. The terminology is terrible. Yes, it's bonanza in space, but coming on the heels of Star Wars, and and, and Glenn Larson, the creator, would deny that Star Wars was an influence on Galactica, saying, in "Indeed, court. it was." It was. Um, uh, uh, Adams an idea he had called Adams Ark, which was sort of a you know um, well when worlds collide, kind of Noah's Ark concept that he had that never got made that Star Wars made Galactica possible. That's what Glenn Larson said. He has Mark Hamill he says well we used to call it Battlestar Copycatia. so uh, um, but uh, regardless of what you how you how you land on that, It's really an extraordinary achievement in terms of uh, visual effects, uh, in terms of miniature work. I mean, some of the great spaceship designs of all time, the Galactica itself, the Vipers, the Cylon Raiders, Stu Phillips' marvelous score. Um, Again, 70s, uh, keeping with our theme of this dystopian 70s where everything, you know, Galactica is the story of an interstellar genocide And yes, after uh, billions of people are wiped out, they do go to a gambling planet and Starbucks worried about whether or not he can open a casino here. But um, it's still another one of these these films that postulates a world in which, uh, you know, automation, computers um, left unchecked, you know, destroy the equivalent of humanity. Um, And it has this really fantastic lovely premise which is instead of you know us going out to find the aliens the aliens are coming looking for us because we're their last hope um and it, it, it is really a beautifully realized uh, uh exquisitely well-produced um film and as much as people love like harlan ellison and everybody love to take pot shots at galactica there's there's a lot to love i think it's more than just a guilty pleasure um I think there's there's some really extraordinary sci-fi imagery in these films and, admittedly, a lot of stupidity. But um, it's a film I think that a lot of us really love, and um, it obviously has stayed with us these many years. The Cylons were a great conceit, these metallic uh, robots. And um, there are things about it that give Star Wars a run for its money. But, you know, ultimately what George Lucas did was he had – a, an incredible vision and a storytelling ability that that far exceeded uh, Glenn Larson, whose whose who's work largely consisted of copying successful movies. But um, it is Glenn Larson's greatest achievement, uh, even for you Magnum fans. And uh, I think that uh, uh, it, 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 it's 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 a terrific way to end our uh, part two uh, account of the countdown uh, as we continue to Countdown Sci-Fi's greatest films.
5: The ABC Sunday Night Movie presents the most spectacular space adventure ever filmed. Transport yourself in time. To a star system far beyond our own galaxy. Core systems transferring control to probe plant. Launch when ready. Battlestar Galactica, a saga of a star world. I got him on the Is precision flying for a thousand years a race of alien machines has been bent on destruction of the human race they hate us with every fiber of their existence and now their evil plans may become reality
4: it's dangerous around here why those people want to hurt us what do we do to them it's
5: not what we did to them it's what they fear we could do join the last remnants of the human race in their quest for a new world this 13th colony this other world where is it? What's it called? Earth. And be there for the ultimate confrontation. Enemy closing, 30 microns. But if you're wrong... 25 microns. I'm no, not wrong. 15 microns. The Cylons lured me into their deception once. Closing in, 5 microns. Never again.
1: Battlestar Galactica. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Guilty. I still think those girls—they could have gone out in the circuit and made us a lot of money.
2: By the way, I will—I will say in defense of Starbuck and the opening of the casino. You know what? We all process grief in our own way, and I don't think we should judge
3: it. <laughs> and, and, you know, look. Let's face it. Dirk Benedict is so great, yes. and as Starbuck and. Uh, Patrick Mcnee was just a perfect voice for the Patrick curious leader. And, <laughs> and, and of John, course, the way they... they, they John Colobie and all that. Yeah, well, we, but we're not, not talking about that. We're not, not talking
0: about that. We're talking about we're, the movie. We're, we're not, not right, talking yeah. about
3: that. Um, and, you know, to the person who objected to the Bible in uh, thing, this was all based on Mormonism because uh, Glenn Larson was a Mormon and a lot of what he lifted uh, for Battlestar Galactica was taken from his Mormon faith, so sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, um, it's a very interesting. Uh, it's an interesting thing and it's in sense around. Absolutely. Yeah, and you could go on the Universal Studio tour, and fight not anymore. The... Well, back then you, you could like the silence and but of you can't watch it...
0: the nude bomb and enjoy
3: it. <laughs> relive, relive the memories. That's so, not on the uh, list, is it? Uh, it is not. Bomb. You'll have to come back Been for seen. our next part and find out whether it makes the cut. Will Agent 99 be number 69? Will it be number one? Would we don't know. Number but 13. the only way to find out is to join us for the next installment in this 470 part Inglorious Trexperts holiday special where Ashley Miller, Rotmeyer Burnett, Darren Doctorman, and myself will return. Until then, we want to thank Bill Ritter, Peter Holmstrom, Zach Raggetz, Mark Rivera, Natalie Holmstrom, and all of you for listening. Natalie Muscali. what I say?
0: <laughs> Natalie Holmstrom.
3: They haven't gotten married.
2: <laughs> you slide dog, Peter. Congratulations, <laughs> the buddy. The cat's out of the bag now. <laughs> and the bag's in the river.
3: Uh, 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 uh. And of course, we want to hear what you think. Did we get it right? Did we miss out? Are you shocked? Are you amazed? Are you disgusted? You could share all your opinions with us on social, and Inglorious Trek on Twitter, Inglorious Trek experts on Instagram, and Inglorious Trek experts on Facebook. And of course, you can follow Robert Daly on the Burn Network.
1: The Burn Network, you
3: can on, on the Burn on YouTube, at, and also on
1: social media. On
3: social media, find me everywhere, and you can find uh, Ashley Miller at Ashmaster Zero on Twitter, and Darren Doc at Inglorious Trek on Twitter as well. So until next time here on the big shoe, thanks for joining us and keep on trekking in gloriously, of course.